This meeting is being recorded. Okay, perfect. Thank you. All right. Uh, it is, uh, for the record, May 12th, 2022, 9 o'clock a.m. I'm Paul Berg's hearing examiner for uh, the city of Kirkland. Apologize for my bad video feed there and, and uh, my informal attire. I'm actually um, traveling to, for, for my nephew's graduation in Arizona, and this is the only place and clothes I have right now to do this. So um, I'll, I'll be a little dark for the hearing. But um, so we are here on the uh, Lang Appeal building permit. Uh, that is, do we have a file number for this? Oh, there it is, BSF 19-01341. Uh, this is, uh, here proceeding has already been subject to a summary judgment motion that uh, uh, limits the scope of the appeal issues. Um, and so far I've received a staff report along with uh, numerous enclosures from the city and uh, Mr. Rojala representing the appellant has just added one exhibit of his own. Let, let's deal with the exhibits real quick. So I have uh, the May 5th, 2022 staff report with 29 enclosures. Mr. Rojala, do you have any objections over entry of that document? What did I do? Uh, Mr. Ojala has no objections to the city's uh, staff report uh, being entered into the record and the 29 enclosures that came with it. We added um, uh, one for clarification that you'll probably get to, and I will point out that um, I crosswalked their enclosures with my exhibit list so that we didn't have duplicate duplicates. Okay, perfect. All right, I'll go ahead then and enter the May 5th, 2022 staff report along with its 29 enclosures. And Mr. Jolla, I know you had uh, what you marked as exi your exhibit three, a building report from mybuildingpermit.com for BSF 19-01341. Any objections from the city entry of that document? No objections. Okay, and then we also have Mr. Jolla's uh, hearing brief that just came in this morning. The city have any objections over entry of that? Uh, we do. We have not had an opportunity to review it. Okay. Mr. Jolly, any response to that? Yeah, this is uh, uh, a hearing brief as your, uh, and if you don't mind, I'm used to saying your honor and I'll call you your honor. I'm not that's sure yeah. if there's a protocol at the hearing examiners. That's, but, yeah, uh, that's fine, yeah. yeah. Uh, as your honor knows, uh, trial briefs are often submitted uh, at the morning of hearings and it's really to help the um, decision maker, uh, go through the issues and, um, deal with the facts as they contemplate the hearing. Typically the hearing examiner doesn't issue a ruling right away. And so, uh, it would be even like a closing summary, even an opening argument to help speed up this hearing. We'd like to try to keep this, uh, as tight as possible today, rather than being a lengthy hearing. And so it helps with that. Okay. Yeah, usually, I mean, actually, I usually, if they're hearing briefs, they're submitted, you know, along uh, under the exhibit deadline as an exhibit. And that's what the city did. Um, but I mean, your, your brief, Mr. Jolla, is basically just arguments and, uh, and testimony you'll be presenting today. So um, <clears throat> I'm certainly not going to make you read it into the record rather than have it admitted in. But what I will do for the city, though, is if the city needs to, once the hearing is done, I'll give them a little ch a chance to provide a written response or their own brief if they, if they choose. So um, we'll, we'll go with that. And Ms. Kroll, if you just remind me at the end of the hearing, you know, whether or not you want to have an opportunity to file a written response to the brief, uh, just let me know at that point. So I'll do that. Thank you. The, uh, the, the format for today's hearing is uh, according to the hearing examiner rules of procedure for Kirkland on appeal is uh, we have a chance for opening comments and then we jump straight to the city doing uh, their presentation, then the appellant, then a city rebuttal, and then closing. Do the parties want to do opening statements or should we just jump right into the, uh, the evidence? 
Ms. Kroll, any, any preference there? I'll, um, this is appellant's appeal. So if they want to do an opening, they can, they can go first. Um, if they do an opening, the city will provide a short opening also, but okay. we are fine with waiving opening. Okay, Mr. Jolly, do you want to do an opening? Um, <clears throat> no, I will, uh, I will rely on the legal brief. Uh, we've done summary judgments. I, I trust your honor is familiar with, with the case. I would just introduce my two clients to you. Uh, oh, sure, yeah. R Rita Lang and uh, Harley Lang, who goes by Skip Lang, are here um uh with us uh in the hearing and um uh you know big picture we do believe that the city of uh kirkland code allows a certificate of occupancy to issue uh prior to um every last zoning code detail being uh being checked off and uh, we believe the code allows for that and that the uh, director erred in his interpretation to the contrary and um, your summary judgment ruling uh, did leave that open that in certain circumstances, uh, there could be such a case. And so that's where we feel um, that, that it's necessary for uh, apparently a hearing today to see if this is one of those cases where the circumstances justify a certificate of occupancy being issued and um, uh, certain zoning code uh, matters being uh, deferred. Another preliminary matter I would like to clarify <clears throat> is that there was a stipulation uh, that uh, all the all the um, uh, I believe all the life and safety building permit type issues were um, uh, checked off and and uh, finaled by the building inspectors and so those building inspectors are not here today to testify. Um, I don't know if uh, that needs to be in the record or not, but I would just um, bring that issue up too. That was some email exchanges on that, but I don't know if it's in the record. Okay. And, and Mr. Jolly, just for uh, clarification, I, I mean, I think that you know, the summary judgment ruling left a, actually a couple issues up for further, um, I don't know, exploration. But, I mean, one was, as you said, whether any uh, certain uh, conditions can be deferred, you know, and, and that's kind of like it, with my experience in, in uh, preliminary plats, for example, you know, mm -hmm. uh, cities typically have code provisions that allow for bonding of certain requirements, that kind of thing. So deferral is not a new concept and that that is worth exploring for this project. But the other one too, I think, and I, I just, I'm just curious if you're gonna be pursuing this is that uh, uh, maybe you're taking the position that you believe your client has, uh, has uh, you know, in good faith and, and, and complied with the conditions that have, that are attached to this permit and you're just disagreeing with the city as to whether, you know, compliance is achieved. I mean, because some of your materials, I think you're talking about the fact that easements were being required you didn't believe should be required, or maybe that told harmless uh, clauses were being required that shouldn't be required. So are, are we dealing with a difference of interpretation of the conditions and and uh, and uh, code provision, provisions that, that uh, are, are necessary for issuance of the certificate of occupancy? Yes and no. There's some statements by Mr. Weinstein saying that there's been no mitigation done in his declaration. And of course, we have exhibits that show that mitigation has been installed and is being monitored and by our clients. So in one sense, there may be a little bit of a a dispute of fact on that, but the bigger issue uh, is uh, that a lot of these, in my in my view, is a lot of these um, requirements re uh, do require 
further um, uh, haven't been predetermined. Like for example, at the building permit stage, there was no map showing the extent of the native growth protection area, um, uh, for example. And so necessarily those are things that need to be worked out and are major issues. You just don't sign an easement for a native growth protection area carte blanche on your property. And so those were not provided at the building permit stage. And so there has to be some mechanism to get those done. And our view would be that the certificate of occupancy should issue and those conditions should be listed on it. So it's kind of a yes and no uh, to, your, to, to your question there. This is not a situation where um, we say we have uh, um, uh, signed everything. Uh, we would like an opportunity to work these things out in a predictable and straightforward manner with the city, not just uh, as Mr. Weinstein says in his declaration, uh, sign it and submit it. Okay. Okay. Understood. Great. Thank you, sir. All right. Let's move on to Ms. Kroll then. And uh, Ms. Kroll, you can do an opening if you want, or just uh, we can just jump straight to the uh, witnesses if you prefer. Well, uh, I, I would do, will do an opening, Your okay. Honor, since, since uh, petition or since appellants have done an opening. Um, first of all, um, we're, the city's bottom line is that all of these conditions that they are contesting are collateral attacks against conditions that were issued when the um, permit was issued on April 3rd, 2020. Um, they were, and that's shown in enclosure number three, which is the special conditions to the building permit. The only exception is the um, last, the wetland stream enhancement and mitigation monitoring report or no, the, the, which, which one? The tree maintenance. The tree maintenance agreement. I'm sorry, Your Honor. The tree maintenance agreement um, was uh, required on 6-24-2021, which is based on enclosure 22 to our staff report. And none of those conditions were appealed within 21 days, as would be required under the Land Use Petition Act. They are all part of the land use and zoning codes that are applicable to this development of real property. They're all required to be appealed within 21 days under the Land Use Petition Act. There's nothing about any of these requirements that would exempt them from the Land Use Petition Act. And so at this point, um, the appeal is moot. They, they failed to appeal within a timely manner and their appeal should be dismissed. Now, should the hearing examiner go on to actually hear the appeal, um, it is very clear in the city code that zoning code requirements must be completed by the time a certificate of occupancy is issued. And no certificate of occupancy can be issued until the zoning code requirements are completed. In this instance, we had a pre-submittal on this um, building permit in October of 2017. So we are four and a half years after they began this process. Um, they filed their building permit, as I noted, on April 3rd. 2020. So it's been two years that they have been involved in this process. The 
delineation of the native growth protection easement was established months ago. They simply do not want to sign what is required of them. They say, we don't have to give you an easement. It's a code requirement. They knew this in 2017. And if, the, if you look at a city's enclosure exhibit 18, it will show that they were told in 2017 that these would be requirements. They knew about them. They knew they had to sign these documents and comply with these zoning code requirements for years. Uh, we, to, to my knowledge, the city has never had anyone object and appeal to signing these required documents because they are clear code requirements. The appellants want to be treated differently than every other person in the city of Kirkland. The requirements for the tree uh, maintenance agreements, for instance, those are mandated by the GMA, the Growth Management Act, which was enacted in 1990, July 1, 1990. And the city adopted regulations as it was required to by the Growth Management Act. And those requirements require the native growth protection easement. So this is not something that the city is willy-nilly asking for. It is routine. It is required for every project of this scope in the city. Every single project of this same scope in the city requires an, the signing of a native growth protection easement before a certificate of occupancy is issued. They don't want to sign the easement at all. They're asking you to defer it. Until when, Your Honor? Until never is the answer. So uh, the city will simply remind the hearing examiner that this entire hearing is barred. Entire hearing is barred for failure to appeal within 21 days under the Land Use Petition Act. And uh, in the event that the uh, hearing examiner reaches the merits of the case, there are five requirements that the appellants need to comply with. And we would ask that the hearing examiner deny their appeal and order their compliance by a date certain. We would ask for a date certain that they comply with these requirements. And if, because they are living in the property without a certificate of occupancy at this time. And if we do not have a date certain, um, then it becomes a little more difficult for us to fairly uh, provide them with notice that they need to leave the property. Um, if we have a date certain, then they can comply by that date after that date, we will be enforcing the fact that they need to leave the property without a certificate of occupancy. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay, thank you, Ms. Kroll. And, and just to be clear, I, I, and I, I, I do think with that we, we have kind of a basic understanding of this. I mean, this hearing is not here for the purpose of uh, evaluating the validity of any conditions that weren't timely appealed or, or code provisions, which I have no jurisdiction over in terms of validity. It's just an issue of, um, of whether the conditions and the, and the code provisions are being uh, accurately interpreted and applied in this case and whether there's any room for deferral in some circumstances or whether the city has just been uh, uh, asking for documents to be signed that are too open-ended at this point. Th those are the kind of issues I'm looking at, but we're definitely not 
revisiting the validity of the building permit conditions or, uh, or, or the code provisions. And I ha haven't heard Mr. Ojala actually say that that's what he's, he's attacking. So um, let's let, yeah, let's move forward with the uh, witness presentations. Who's your fir first witness, Ms. Kroll? Uh, well, I believe the appellants go first. Or do you want the uh, city No, you're the, uh, I mean, the, the, the hearing exam rules of procedure are that the city goes first. That's, okay. that's we, a rule 20B or 20C actually, so yeah. Uh, apologies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it always makes sense to put the project out there first for a clear understanding. So sure. the city would call Jennifer Anderer okay. and um, she is going to present the uh, project to the hearing examiner um, and then uh, my understanding is uh, appellants may ask her questions and cross-examine, and then the right. city would like to re-cross-examine at that point. Okay. And, and like I said, I'm just, I'm just following the uh, hearing examiner rules procedure for appeals, and that's, that's 20, has the hearing format. But if the parties want to do it differently, because, I mean, I understand, I mean, I, I often in these appeal hearings, it's, it's uh, I mean, basically the city's trying to respond to the appellant's uh, appeal issues. So, it, frankly, it makes more sense that the appellant go first so that the city knows exactly and precisely what to respond to. But again, I'm, I'm following the adopted rules of procedure, which can be changed if the parties agree. I mean, Mr. Jala, would you prefer to go first, maybe for purposes of efficiency and, and so we know what to focus upon in this hearing? Yeah, I'm open to that um, because uh, I think this, I think the reality is this hearing should be pretty, um, uh, there shouldn't be a, a big factual dispute here, uh, as far as I know, um, given the the, the code that we've appealed under, it's about an interpretation of code, and that's typically a question of law. Uh, and, and, and yet there's a, there's a possibility that in this case, uh, the circumstances are justified to have a certain occupancy issue before some of these other final things are, are resolved. So I'm happy to go for, I just have a few questions for my clients. I mean, the, the record speaks for itself and, and with the brief. Um, uh, I don't know how long we'll, we'll really be here, maybe a half hour, fingers crossed, okay. famous last words, but uh, I don't anticipate this to be a lengthy uh, presentation by any of us. I will have a couple questions for Mr. Weinstein, um, but other than that, I, I don't know if we'll even have any, too many questions for Jennifer. Um, okay. Documents speak for themselves. The city did a good job compiling all the exhibits in a fair manner, so um, I, I'm open if uh, Ms. Kroll is to just ask a few questions of uh, Rita and Skip, and turn this back over to the city. It's called. Uh, what's your What's your preference? Sorry, I mean, I, I just brought that up because it sounded like you kind of were wanting the appellate to go first as well, or that's what you expected anyway. I mean, the downside is that uh, um, then Mr. Ajala would have uh, you know opening and closing basically the rebuttal, right? A rebuttal. So, uh, what, what's how would you like to proceed? Yeah, I think I think we probably should proceed pursuant to the hearing examiner's rules. Oh, and okay. allowed Jennifer Anderer to testify to the um, city's position. Okay, all right. Well, then I apologize. I, I it sounded like you wanted to maybe go second, but all right. Let's uh, let's stick with the rules then. If the parties aren't willing to waive, then I, I'm bound to abide by the rules. And hearing rule 20 has the city go first. So, all right. Let's uh, get Miss Anderer on board. Miss Anderer, just raise your right hand. You swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding. I do. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Hello everyone, um, I'm Jen Ander, I'm an associate planner for the city of Kirkland. 
um, and kind of hearing some of the openings and, and comments that have already been made, um, I'll just make a couple of statements going through the staff analysis of the, the report that we provided. Um, so if you kind of want to follow along with me, I do start at the end. Uh, we discuss on page 12, um, you know, I just like to reiterate how routine these outstanding code requirements are um, for a permit and, and projects similar in scope to the LANGS, uh, which is why we provided the LANGS some of the examples, which you can find in Enclosure 29. Um, they show other projects around town that have had similar requirements to these. And in fact, almost all single family projects in Kirkland have at least one, if not more, recording documents that are required um, before the permit's completed or, or finaled and the CFO is issued. Um, so if we start on page four, it's just, it's a good summary um, of the, the outstanding zoning code requirements that we're talking about for this permit. So just to make sure everyone's clear, we have the tree maintenance agreement, which we refer to as a TMA, the geologically hazardous area covenant, the notice of geological hazardous area, um, natural greenbelt protective easement. So that's the NGPE that we've been mentioning, and then wetland and stream enhancement mitigation and monitoring. Um, in the opening statements, we kind of covered a bit of the um, timeline, which you can see starting on page five. So just detailing the pre-submittal meeting um, when the LANGs kind of entered into the permitting process. So that's October, 2017. Um, and then the purpose of the pre-submittal meeting is really for applicants to provide conceptual plans. And then, um, they, they also provide questions for staff, for the review staff for the proposed permit. So then after that meeting is held, you know, there's a lot of discussion there, highlighting things to anticipate based on the conceptual scope, um, things that may come up through the building permit, things that may be required prior to certificate of occupancy and really finaling out that permit. Um, enclosure 18 is a copy of all of those notes that would have been distributed after that meeting. And then as was noted before, about two and a half years after that, they came in for their building permit, went through that process, um, you know, got it approved. And then that enclosure 20 is a copy of the issued permit that was signed by the Langs on April 3rd. And enclosure three is a copy that would have been distributed at that time of the specific um, conditions for the permit. So, all four of the, the, it's the two geologically hazardous covenants, the NGPE and then the monitoring and maintenance are all includes, included in that April 3rd distribution. And then the TMA um, condition was issued on the 24th of June in 2019. So, you know, really all of these requirements, they're codified um, to comply with the Growth Management Act. Um, for a variety of, a variety of them, excuse me, um, they kind of address objectives or goals, the city's comprehensive plan, Washington um, CEPA regulations, the State Environmental Policy Act, uh, the city's Natural Resource Management Act, and a lot of times it's um, to protect people, properties, critical areas, natural environment. So then, I don't think we need to go into too much detail. Six through 11 details out each of the five requirements. Uh, what's outstanding, pertinent code sections, you know, kind of how we get there and when they were issued for the LANGs. Um, and it's important to highlight that, as Stephanie said, none of them were appealed within 21 days of issuance. 
So then if we get kind of towards the bottom um, along around page 11, I believe, we discuss a situation where the city has rarely deferred zoning code requirements. Um, and this, in my experience, is always tied to planting seasons. So if you have any sort of planting requirements in a critical area, supplemental trees, uh, really any kind of vegetation, um, a lot of these construction projects, if they're ending right in the height of summer, right? Taught, you, you want those plantings to succeed. So the city understands that there's this requirement and you want your, your best effort for those to really thrive. So very rarely it will get deferred um, and conditioned for a proper planting season. And really all of these are rooted in state law, you know, and the Growth Management Act and that deferment that we do just for the seasonal purposes. Um, the rest of these, when they're deferred, we don't really have a means of meeting compliance except through code enforcement. That's what I had. Okay, Mr. Jala, any cross? Yeah, I'll have uh, just a brief cross. Ms. Uh, Anderer, you said you sent an email, uh, was it uh, in June of 2022? Was that exhibit, uh, was it 22 or 24? Enclosure 22? Uh, yeah, I believe it's the enclosure 22. Um, the email June 24th, 2021. Excuse me. Yes, yes. Uh, enclosure 22. Yeah. When you sent over those forms, were those uh, forms complete or did they need more information to make them effective? Um, they were partially completed. So they need um, some information from the applicant or the appellants in this case. And was that the first time you sent those forms to the Langs? The forms themselves, yes. And so those weren't attached to the building permit that was issued? No. Correct? And then um, enclosure uh, 25, can I turn you to that one? Looks like an email you sent in um, November 29th, 2021. Yes, I got it. And so is it, uh, it's true and correct, isn't it, that um, in this email, you are indicating that the native growth protection boundaries uh, aren't yet complete and that Lang should work with you to um, get those boundaries completed, correct? Um, it's, it was an email that um, going a little bit above and beyond on the city's um, Side, the requirement for that is uh, for the NGPE is for the sur a survey to be provided. So there's boundaries there. Um, there's a, a legal boundary that gets included with the recording document. Um, and so I, the attachment was marked up per code. And really that last, uh, I think it's the last sentence in there is stating that, you know, on the off chance that anything had changed in the field, that anything had changed that we hadn't been made aware of, um, you know, to, to let us know, but this is, the map was marked up as a standard NGPE per code. Okay. Um, 
let me read the last sentence and tell me yes or no if I read this correctly, okay? Mm -hmm. In that email. If the boundaries change at all in the field or your surveyor identifies alternatives to the attached marked up plan, please let me know and we can work together to adjust the NGPE boundaries. Did I read that accurately? You did. And so um, the, the city is open to adjusting the NGPE boundaries to tailor the easement to the conditions on the property. Is that correct? Um, the city is open to hearing if there was, um, a, if the boundary of that had somehow changed in the field or something had come up that was different than all of the documentation that we had been provided, then we would take a look at it. It would need to be compliant with the code set boundaries, so. Okay, and this email that you wrote is in November 29th, 2021, and that was um, uh, several months after they, the Langs requested a certificate of occupancy, correct? Um, I believe so. I don't recall the date when they requested the CFO. I'll turn you to enclosure one to refresh your memory. It's a letter from. Oh, September, that September 10th? September 10th, yeah. yeah. Yep, so about two months or so after. And so in your view, even this uh, NGPE easement is a pretty routine, pretty routine uh, instrument and document to sign, correct? Yes. And were there any other, um, uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. And any cross, Ms. Sacral? Or redirect, I should say. Um, I just wanted to um, ask Ms. Anderver if she could clarify um, with regard to the NGPE, how the back and forth works. There are several steps in that process. Is that correct? There are for the monitoring and maintenance. For the monitoring and mm -hmm. maintenance, but there appear to be several steps for the NGPE. They must provide you with a report. Is that correct? The NGPE is, they, they provide the exhibit where it's marked up that's signed in, sealed by their surveyor. Um, and then they have to provide the, um, why can I not get the word? It's the, uh, the legal description. There we go. The legal description of the property and the legal description of the established NGPE. Okay, and the NGPE has to be surveyed. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. yes. And and did the appellants ever provide you with a survey boundary of the NGPE on their property? No. And is that what you were requesting? Yes. And when you sent it back, a marked up document. 
Um, were you indicating per code where you believed the NGPE was located? Yes. Uh, and did they respond at all with any survey contradicting what you sent them? Okay, I have no further questions on that. Okay. I just had some quick questions, Ms. Sander. Um, the, now, the, I think somewhere in the staff report it mentioned that uh, these agreements and covenants that are required on standard forms approved by the city. I was kind of curious to, uh, what kind of approval process the city uses for these standardized documents and agreements. I mean, is there like a, some formalized mm -hmm. process or is it just something you get from the city attorney and, and run with it and use it all the time? Yeah, actually, I would probably defer to Stephanie or Adam on that one. Um, I, there's a process uh, to establish okay. documents, so they could speak on that. Okay. And uh, one other question about dealing, you said that, uh, you know, all the projects use these forms. I'm, I'm, I guess uh, just to get a better perspective of where you're speaking from, how long have you worked for, for the city? Um, six years. I started in October, September 2016. Oh, okay. Six years. Six years. Okay. And so are you you've been involved in? Seven, six. It's five and a half, six. Sorry, about okay. that long. Okay. Interestingly, <laughs> and on a tangent, Ms. Anderer and I started on the exact same day. Oh, we did. okay. There you go. So you would know too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've been here. Yeah, we've been here. Yeah. There you go. And what's your, what's your uh, title again with the city? Okay. Associate planner. Associate planner. Okay. And so, uh, I mean, how many projects have you worked roughly about in that five and a half years? Oh, gosh. I don't think that I could even um, estimate that. It also Doesn't varies it? because I've done a couple different jobs through the city. Oh, and your, okay. your workload is a bit different depending on the year. Um, okay. But single family homes, I don't think I could even count. Okay. So, are we talking hundreds then, maybe? Or? Yeah. Okay, and and your experience working with those hundreds, then these are the forms that you always that are always used for the tree maintenance agreement, geological hazardous covenant, the notice of geohazardous area, and NGPE, and the wetland mitigation process. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. If a project triggers those needs, then those those are the forms that have gone okay. out. Okay. 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 Great. Great. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, Ms. Crawl, any other witnesses? Um. Mr. Weinstein. Yes. Okay. Let me swear in, Mr. Weinstein. Just raise your right hand. You swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I do. Okay, great. All right, go ahead. Um, Mr. Weinstein, uh, can you tell us what your uh, um, title is? Yeah, I'm the director of the planning and building department. All right. And I believe we have uh, his declaration in the record with all of his um, uh education and so I I'll skip that if we can okay um, how long have you been uh, employed at the city since December of 2017 and were, were you working as in the planning uh, area well before that yeah I was working in the private sector as a consultant for about 13 13 years um, after college and then I spent a couple of years in the in the public sector uh, as the head of the planning division in the Bay Area a city in the Bay Area. All right. And so um, can you tell us um, whether or not these five conditions that the appellants need to complete uh, are required under our code per, per certain code language? Yes, they are. They are required in our code. They're routinely required of development projects with a similar scope. Um, they relate to specific provisions of our code in um, Chapter 95, which is our tree protection 
uh, the tree protection part of our code, um, chapter 90, which is the critical areas ordinance part of our code, and then also chapter 85, which is the geologically hazardous section of our code. Um, and I've seen similar conditions imposed on single family projects and other development projects, not only here in Kirkland, but in um, the city of Pleasanton, where I used to work, and then multiple cities um, where I worked as a consultant when I was uh, in, the, in the private sector. And is it um, routine that the city requires these five zoning code uh, requirements prior to issuance of a certificate of occupancy? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the certificate of occupancy is really our last chance to ensure that conditions like this are met. Um, and there are important conditions to the, the public health and safety of the city. They relate to environmental protection. They relate to tree protection. They relate to an understanding of the geological hazards like landslides that people have on their property. So they're really, really important. We want to make sure that they're checked off prior to a certificate of occupancy so that people can dwell in, in the, the a property safely with all of the zoning code conditions met. Okay, so let's talk about, for instance, a property that has um, a landslide hazard area on it. Mm -hmm. um, if this property is developed on the east side mm -hmm. and there's a landslide hazard area on the west side, do we still require um, a landslide hazard notification? Yes, absolutely. Because yeah, if somebody is is if somebody's house is on the east side, they're likely to be using um, the west side of their property too, or they should at least be aware that there's a geological hazard on the west side that could influence that could affect their their house on on the east side of the property. So absolutely. And is it is it is it likely that people purchase property, develop it, and then sell it at some time? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, which is why we want to make sure that future owners of property also get notification that there is a geological hazard on their property. And um, once somebody sells a property, um, do new owners often want to put on additions and develop further areas of the property? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that reinforces the need to for future property owners to understand the geological hazards on the entirety of their property and not just on the section of property where their house is. All right. And um, with regard to the uh, tree maintenance agreement, the TMA. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would ask you similar questions. Um, do first of all, is it required by Chapter ninety five and the GMA? Yes, it is. Um, I have are the city's requirements in excess of the GMA? No, they're not in excess of the GMA. The GMA is you know fairly high level, so it doesn't prescribe specific zoning regulations right for cities, but it promotes the protection of um, environmental resources like trees in critical areas. All right, and and um, is it possible that um, someone who is building on the east side of their property has a native growth protection area on the west side of their property? Absolutely, yeah, and we see this situation all the time in the planning and building department where people come in, they've newly purchased a property, um, and they do want to do something with a, a piece of their property that has already been protected. So it's really important for them to know what protections exist when they go into buying their property. Okay. And we call that um, a native, and then we get to the native growth protection easement. And, and that's a, an easement, correct? Correct. Um, is that an access easement? Does it allow anyone from the city to walk onto their private property at any time? No, no, no. It still remains private property. It's a 
protective easement. Is right. that correct? Correct. Yeah, correct. And um, what what rights does it give the city? It gives the city the ability to know that that area is being protected and that it's being treated in in uh, in a way that's consistent with our um, our zoning code. So, for instance, if there's an NGPE that's imposed around a um, a critical area like a wetland, that ensures us that they there aren't going to be herbicides applied on the native vegetation. There's not going to be non-native vegetation planted within the easement. It gives us a sense that. Um, a commitment that the area will be protected in accordance with our zoning code. And does it give us some enforcement if there's a violation of the NGPE? Correct. Yep. All right. But but it's not an access easement. Correct. Yeah. We would not just access a property simply because there's an NGPE imposed on part of it. All right. Um, in this instance, um, have you personally been working with um, Jennifer Anderer and the appellants on these issues? Yes, for quite a while. And how do you feel, uh, not how do you feel, how have you worked with them? I've worked, I've worked um, with, with Jen on um, the sort of the last phase of this project. I'm not you know, typically involved in an intimate scale with building permits from you know, the time of application to the time of issuance. Um, so I became more involved with this project when um, the appellants contested the conditions um, which were, you know, in my, in my mind, considered fairly routine for development projects of this scope. Um, and so I worked with, with Jen both in um, getting a better understanding of all the conditions that were imposed and why the appellants were contesting them. And then I also had conversations, mostly email conversations, I think, with the appellants, helping them understand what the conditions were that were still outstanding, why they are required by the city how they're related to the code and that they are routine conditions imposed on development projects of this type. Right, and so um, we just let the uh, hearing examiner know that those emails and correspondences are in the record. Okay. And um, do you think that there is any question left unanswered by the city that the, that the appellants have asked us with regard to these conditions? No, I don't, I don't think so. We've had, you know, upwards of, I would say, a dozen pieces of correspondence with the, um, with the appellants that I'm aware of, um, spending a lot of time talking about all of their questions and why, why these conditions are required. So I don't think there are any significant unanswered questions at this point. Okay, thank you. Uh, I have no further questions for Mr. Okay, Mr. Jala. Thank you. Um, uh, Mr. Weinstein, is that correct? Yes. Um, good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning. You, um, the staff report that was prepared, did you uh, assist in writing that or did you write it or review it or edit it? Did you give a chance to review that in detail? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, did you make any modifications or changes to the staff report? Yes, I made, I made edits to the staff report. Okay, so nothing really restricted you from adequately reviewing and reading it. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, I was I was involved in editing it. Um, Jen Jen was the primary author of it, but I but I reviewed it thoroughly and edited and made some edits to it. Okay, on on page eleven of the report, um, it says uh, that the appellants have demanded that the city issue a certificate of occupancy 
by deferring the following applicable zoning requirements indefinitely. Can you tell us where on the page that is, Mr. Ojala? Yeah, it's on page 11. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. We see it. Right under under three there, deferral building uh, and in you. Uh, I, uh, I, I italicized and underlined the word indefinitely. Um, can you point to anything in the record that the Langs have uh, demanded that these be uh, deferred indefinitely? Or is this more like argument? I wouldn't say it's argument. I mean, the, the Langs, you know, our, our code requirements and our permit conditions establish a clear milestone for when these conditions have to be implemented and fulfilled. And in the absence of that fulfillment, we would expect a date certain from the appellants indicating when they're going to comply with the requirements. Those dates have not been provided at all. We haven't gotten a date of compliance from the appellants. So I would consider that to mean that the deferment is happening indefinitely until a date is provided. Uh, do you have the power to give a date yourself? But, I mean, the date is, the, yeah, the date is passed already, right? It's, it's the issuance of the certificate of occupancy, which is being required. That is the date when these conditions that are outstanding have to be complied with. Okay. And that's your interpretation of your code, correct? Correct. Are you familiar with what a, um, a phased occupancy, certificate of occupancy is? Yes. And that's one that can be provided when all the life safety issues in a structure are uh, uh, complied with and all the accessibility components are complied with, correct? I mean, I, you know, phased occupancies are not actually um, utilized all that often in the city, to my knowledge. Um, it's typically, they're typically used for a, a, a relatively, in my, in my experience, a larger scale project um, that has, you know, a section of the project that has not yet been completed such that there's phased occupancy. I mean, so we're currently dealing with phased occupancy for a relatively large scale Google development, a, a new Google campus in Kirkland um, where they're um, building multiple buildings at a time and they're bringing in some of the employees to one building um, and then finishing up a, a, another building. Um, and that's subject to sort of phase, that's subject to phased occupancy. Um, so yeah, yeah, in this case, they, um, you know, the building, a specific building would be completed and then um, the occupancy would be allowed and then the project would continue and other buildings would be constructed over time. I'm not super familiar, to be honest, with phased occupancy for a, a single family residence. Okay. But there's nothing uh, in, in your code that prevents uh, uh, phased occupancy, certificate of occupancy for a single family residence, to your knowledge, is there? Objection calls for a legal conclusion. Oh, rephrase the question, Mr. Ojala. Sorry. What was your question again? Is there anything in the uh, Kirkland code that prevents the phased occupancy from applying to a single family residence was the gist of my question. Oh, okay. No, yeah, I'll, I'll, actually I'll allow the question since Mr. Weinstein works under the code and, and has, has to apply it as part of his uh, daily practice, so. Yeah, um, so yeah, generally um, phased occupancy is 
again, something I'm not familiar with for a single family residence. Um, I, again, we've talked about conditions, specific conditions that can be deferred. The one that we've come up with is related to planting of, um, of trees. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily consider that a phased occupancy um, in my mind. Um, to, again, to me, phased occupancy is that one part of the project is completed and occupied and then another part of the project is built and then occupied. So I'm not, I'm just not familiar with the concept um, for uh, single family residences. And I would really wanna look at the specific facts surrounding a single family residence to determine whether a phased occupancy is appropriate in that situation. Okay. Um, is it your, um, and so I'll let the code speak for itself on that then. Is it your um, understanding or view that, uh, that the Langs are unwilling to comply with these remaining zoning requirements unless ordered to by the, by the uh, hearing examiner? Yeah, I wouldn't want to assign motives to the to the Langs. Um, I, I think they're, they're nice people, and I don't, you know, the, what I, I'm not really clear on what their motivation is. But um, I guess I'm just confronted with the facts in front of us, which is that they're not willing to comply with the remaining conditions of um, approval currently um, until something else happens um, that might include the hearing examiner's decision um, requiring them to do so by a date certain. Okay, so if you said, quote, in your staff analysis, quote, appellants are unwilling to comply with the remaining zoning code requirements unless orders to do so through this appeal process, unquote, you would back off and soften that up a little bit. Not, not necessarily, no, not necessarily. I just, I, I thought you were asking about the motive behind them not fulfilling the conditions as opposed to the fact that they currently are, to me and, and staff, unwilling to fulfill the conditions. And are you familiar with the geological report on file in this matter? Yes. That's in enclosure 24. So I'll turn you to page nine of that, uh, that report. Okay, if you could just give me a sec to pull it up. Yeah, that's okay. All right, you're on page nine, is that right? You said, yes, yes I am on page nine. Okay, oh, sorry, just give me one more minute um, to get to page nine. Okay, I'm on page nine. Uh, you see on the, um, it, it, you've reviewed this report in detail. 
I've, I've reviewed it as part of the, the documents surrounding this project. And yes, I, I have reviewed it. Okay. Um, do you agree that uh, uh, based on the top of, uh, or on page nine, that, um, that the, uh, it describes high landslide areas and those are on property adjacent and to the north of the Lang property and not on the Lang property? Yes, that again from the from the yeah the paragraph that you're referencing that seems reasonable. And that's on the very your that's based on the very top of page nine, correct? Correct. And then further, um, and then down toward the middle of page nine, under the landslide hazard mitigation paragraph six point two, the third paragraph in there, the first sentence uh, says, and I'll quote. The high and moderate landslide areas are outside the limits of disturbance proposed for the new construction, unquote. Correct. And further up, the only place that is talking about a high landslide hazard area, that's on property, uh, not the Lang property, correct? I believe that's correct. And then um, I'll turn you to page seven in enclosure 24. The last paragraph. Okay. And this is the, the geological report that the Langs uh, used to support their application. It's the only geological report by uh, licensed geologists uh, in the record in this matter. Is that correct? Sorry, can you repeat the question? This is the only geological report in the in the record or in the file on the Lang property, isn't that correct? I'm not not clear on that. I think I think there's a peer review report as well um, that is is um, comprises the geologic record for this. So there's okay. So there's maybe two reports in the file, but the only one from the hearing examiner is this one, correct? Yes, that, that sounds right. And I'm not testifying. I do not know whether it's true or not that there's a peer review file, uh, a peer review report. Um, and I'm not conceding that or any, I don't, I don't know that just for the record, but uh, um, okay. So in in section 5.3, the last paragraph, uh, the second to last sentence or third to last sentence is the conclusion of this um, licensed uh uh, geologist or hydro, uh, um, I believe it's a geologist of uh, this report, Associated Earth Sciences. Uh, they say, quote, therefore we consider the project if completed in the current proposed building area to have a low liquefaction hazard, unquote. Did I read that accurately? Yeah. And do you have any facts to suggest otherwise regarding no. liquefaction related to their project? No. So are there any um, seismic or landslide hazards identified in this report that uh, are related to the house project? I would say they're all related to the house project. Again, we talked earlier about the fact that um, when a house is built on a property, that's what triggers 
the implementation of our chapter 85 geologic hazard requirements, which include all the conditions that are still outstanding, like the geologically hazardous area covenant, the notice of geologically hazardous area, hazard area, excuse me. Um, and so as uh, Ms. Kroll mentioned, you know, when people develop a property, A, these requirements are triggered because oftentimes an entire property is used by an applicant, right? You just don't live in your house. You might go outside of your house. You might walk around your property, um, A. B, um, landslides, as we all know, aren't confined to a specific property. They don't, landslides themselves don't understand um, property boundaries, right? So a landslide hazard on, again, on the, in Ms. Kroll's example, on the, west, on the western side of a property can affect the structure that's built under permit. So um, these, are all, these are all interrelated issues to me. It's not just about the structure being built. Um, if a landslide hazard exists on the west side of a property and the house is on the east side of the property and a landslide happens, that could actually affect the house on the east side of the property. Okay, and um, is there any, any uh, land or permit uh, issued in Kirkland where this notice of geological hazard wouldn't be recorded? Yes, if there's not a landslide hazard or a seismic hazard on the property, we would not require um, those documents, the, the covenant and the notice of geologic, ge geologically hazard area to be, um, to be um, completed. And then uh, enclosure nine is your declaration in this matter, right? Correct. Correct. And did you have a, a chance to review, or did you did you author that, or did you have a chance to review that declaration? Yeah. Yes. And did you have a chance to, and an opportunity to make any changes to that declaration before signing it? Yes. I yeah. It's, it's something that I wrote. Is there anything in that declaration that you would uh, want to change or is that, would that be your testimony today just as when you wrote it uh, um, in February of 2022? There's nothing I want to change about it. On page four of that declaration. Okay. Um, let's see here. You state, um, so we can get the line here. You state with regard to the tree protection and geohazard protection, all they need to do is sign the city forms and you list exhibits A through E, that's in uh, paragraph seven. The middle of paragraph seven. Yes, okay, yeah, I see that now. And then, um, You've also stated, quote, all we need are the Lang signatures, but they refuse to sign, unquote. 
Correct. So it's your view that if they just sign those uh, exhibits A through E, uh, just sign them and submit them to the city, you would issue the certificate of occupancy? Yes, I believe if that comprises all of the outstanding conditions. Um, yes, those are the, the, yeah, to my knowledge, those are the only outstanding conditions that are needed to issue the certificate of occupancy. So it's your, your testimony that those exhibits A through E do not need to be tailored to the project or modified in any way. They just got to uh, stroke a pen and, and then it's good? No, of course. Yeah, the applicants, applicants always get the ability to make recommendations to change um, these, these forms um, that need to be signed. And that goes through a, a process where I review it, the staff person would review it, I would review it, the city attorney would review it. And if we think that they're adequate and co-compliant, we would allow the changes to be made. And if you disagree with an applicant, what happens? Then we have to, we have to work it out. Um, and that, to be honest, that situation does not happen very often. I can't think of even one example where an applicant simply, um, where we came to a, a disagreement on the, um, the, the nature of the forms. But what we have to do is go back to the language of the code, if that happens, and see, does the language that is being proposed by an applicant meet the requirements of the code? Um, and if it does, we would allow the change to be made. And so um, do you concede that some of the forms that you've uh, given don't necessarily comply exactly with the code then? Objection. No, of course not. Yeah, they, we, we, we believe they completely comply with our code. There are, yeah, there are some blanks, I, would, I should say, in the forms that need to be filled out by an applicant, um, names and so forth and dates. But other than that, yeah, the, the substantive language in these forms is completely compliant with our code. So um, if the Lang's residence was built uh, too close to the road, um, that would be a, a zoning code violation, correct? Correct. If um, the Lang's house was built too close to the neighbor's house, that would be a, two, uh, a zoning code violation, correct? Correct. And that's directly related to the safety of the occupancy of the structure, correct? It's yeah, it's related to yeah, it's related to all of our all of our zoning rules, which ultimately relate to the protection of public health and safety. Okay. And if the house were too tall. Um, even that would be a, a zoning code issue related to the structure, correct? Correct. And all those zoning code uh, issues related to the structure are reviewed by you or your inspectors uh, during the inspection process, correct? Yes, they're related. They're they're um, reviewed by by our staff, both on the the building division side, and our, our building inspectors, also our planning staff, like like Jennifer. And have you been to the property yourself? Um, I've 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 been by the property uh, multiple times. Just drive by, right? Yeah. Or bike by, or walk by, or but not not on official business, correct? I have not been yet on official business walking on the property. 
And how many times have you been by the property, if you will? Is it like on your commute? Um, I, I travel around the city quite a bit um, and, um, and travel, especially in this part of the city, quite, quite a bit. So I would say dozens of times. Okay. Yep. But you haven't, you have, as you've traveled past though, you're not necessarily looking at it with your, I'll just say quote unquote official eye, correct? Um, some, some of those occasions, yeah, I have, I have gone down to the site to look from, again, from the street um, in my official capacity. Okay. And was that after you signed this declaration or prior? Uh, before. Yeah, but I think before and I would say before and after. In, in uh, paragraph eight of your declaration, the last, it's on page nine and it rolls over onto page 10. You state the Langs have made no effort to complete the required mitigation period. Mm -hmm. And you've stated that under the penalty of perjury, correct? Correct. And have you driven by the property and seen uh, mitigation plantings and, and things the Langs have done? Or, or I, have, I have not, I have not seen the mitigation plantings. What facts do you base this statement on that you've made under the under penalty of perjury? Yeah, so these are, yeah, so what I was referring to in the declaration are the specific conditions of approval that are outstanding still, like the tree maintenance agreement and the geologically hazardous area covenant, um, the notice of geological hazard area, etc. Okay, so you're referring there to the forms, correct? Correct the legal mechanisms to protect the actual mitigation, correct? Correct. So the, um, you would agree that in enclosure 12, the Langs provide uh, photographs and a, and a as-built of uh, mitigation, correct? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, I'll turn you to pay enclosure 12. Okay, let me, um, here, let me pull it up. Yeah, I'll let you pull it up. Yeah. Okay. The email from, from you to um, Stephanie and me and Jennifer. Yeah, and, and at the back of that does include a, a report by the Langs of the uh, as-built of the mitigation. Yes. So in, uh, in paragraph eight of your declaration, really what you're, and I've, this maybe you've asked and answered, you're, you're not referring to the physical plants in the ground or all the labor and work and, and uh, love and dirty hands and effort they put into making, uh, making the, the mitigation of this uh, creek appropriate. You're referring to just signing forms, correct? Well, no, there's, I mean, there's, there are other conditions as well. There's, um... Right, there's the bond, the bond worksheet for the mitigation and then the indication of who is actually going to complete the mitigation too. So I, I guess I do want to be clear, it's not just about forms. Um, we were at one point waiting for the final landscape plan. 
um, for the for, for the mitigation work, and we I, we did receive that, but um, it didn't it didn't come until I think relatively recently. So right. it wasn't just about forums. I'll turn you last, and I think we're just about done um, in Exhibit Seventeen, Enclosure Seventeen. These aren't. Um, these pages aren't uh, bait stamped, so you're gonna have to work with me. But um, toward the near the end of that document, the, the lat one of the last pages of the uh, buffer modification mitigation plan by Cedar Rock Consultants, there's a cost estimate, a table 8.1. I'd like you to turn to that if you can pull that up on your screen. Do you know what page it is in the PDF by any chance? I don't. That's why I have a physical printout and yeah. they're not bait stamped. So it's uh it's page eleven of the um of the Cedar Rock Consultants. Oh yeah, okay, got it. Um here let me, let me pull it up. And for the record, this appears to be a cost estimate mitigation cost estimate worksheet that uh, the Langs consultant provided in the report that was provided to the city um, as part of the permit application. Got it. And then the last uh, box, the lowest box in that table, it's labeled maintenance and monitoring, correct? Correct. And right below that, it says maintenance annual and then parentheses by owner or consultant. You see that? Yes. And the total there is uh, $4,212 for the uh, maintenance and monitoring. Correct. Seven events. Seven, seven different times going out there. Is that is that how I interpret that correctly? Sorry, let me um, let me just take take one moment to look at this. Yeah, I think that's right. In the grand total cost estimate for the mitigation of the. Uh, Stream buffer there was just under six thousand dollars, correct? Correct. Which includes the um, uh, annual maintenance and monitoring, correct? Correct. Does the um, uh, planting plan or mitigation bond issue uh, relate in any way to the health and safety of living in the dwelling? 
I would say it probably doesn't relate to the health and safety of living in the dwelling. It relates to the health and safety of um, the city in general. Okay. You contend, don't you, in your declaration, paragraph nine, this is an enclosure nine, paragraph nine, um, that the, uh, quote, precise, unquote, reason why the city code requires these conditions in A through F to be completed before the certificate of occupancy is for, quote, leverage, unquote, over the Langs or the homeowner. Is that correct? Correct. And did you feel that uh, when the Langs asked you for a certificate of occupancy that you were trying to dictate your authority as director, asking you to selectively enforce only a subset of laws? Objection requires speculation and calls for legal conclusion. Compound question. All right, could uh, you clarify, could you uh, break up your question, Mr. Ajala? Yeah. Did you feel that when the Langs asked you for a certificate of occupancy, you were they were trying to dictate your authority as director, asking you to selectively enforce only a subset of the laws? Objection. Same question. Same yeah. objections. No, I'll overrule. It's just uh, what he's asking what his intent was there. So I think it's clear enough. Yeah, I Yeah, I think if I, I'm not sure I completely understand the question. I think if you're asking, um, did they did the Langs request that I um, overlook, you know, certain provisions of the zoning code and issue the certificate of occupancy, even though those provisions of the zoning code were not met? I would say yes. I think that's what they were asking for. And then I'll turn you to um, your your declaration. Sits on um, page four. It's the last par last sentence of um, paragraph seven. Excuse me, paragraph six, right before paragraph seven. I'm sorry. Let me. Um, if you can just give me a sec to get it again. And sorry, um, Mr. Ajala, can you can you um, give me the paragraph and line number again? Yeah, it's it's page four of that, but it's paragraph six, last sentence. Six lessons. All right. And I'll I'll just quote it, and you tell me if I read it correctly. The okay. Langs cannot dictate my authority as director, comma, such that I would selectively enforce only a subset of the laws required to be enforced by the planning and building department. Period. Correct. And that's what you felt their request for a certificate of occupancy was. Yes, yeah, I was. I was my yeah my um, what I was what I was saying is that um, what I thought the Langs were doing was making me uh, were requesting that I again yeah only selectively um, enforce some of our zoning code provisions but not other zoning code provisions, and then issue their certificate of occupancy. So as far as as you understood their request. It wasn't uh, for a certificate of occupancy with the remaining conditions listed out in the certificate of occupancy for them to follow with uh, with timeline and things like that. That wasn't 
what you felt their their request was? That wasn't what I felt their request was. That wouldn't make logical sense to me. We've already established um, timelines for compliance, which is the certificate of occupancy. Um, so um, there was already a timeline established. And again, they did not supply an alternative timeline, um, a specific alternative timeline. But you, you, but you would have authority as director though to issue a certificate of occupancy with a timeline for compliance with these zoning uh, the remaining zoning compliance, correct? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think again, our our read of the code is that um, these conditions have to be met when the certificate of occupancy is issued. Okay. And if the code said something different, you would have uh, no problem issuing a certificate of occupancy and listing the remaining conditions. Objection uh, calls for speculation. All right, uh, sustained. Do you have the um, the uh, uh, code in front of you? you? You probably don't. The the survey of occupancy code, Mr. Weinstein. Um, I, I don't have it in front of me. Okay. And then um, it's a little confusing to me. Are you the um, planning, uh, the building official, or? Uh, who's the building official in the city? Yeah, the building official in the city is Kurt Aldworth. Okay. And did I ask the wrong person for civic occupancy or, or are you the correct person to ask? No, I'm the correct person to ask. Okay. Okay, thank you, Mr. Weinstein. Thank you. Ms. Kroll, any redirect? Yes. Um, Mr. Weinstein, you were asked about phased occupancy permits. Um, is a phased occupancy permit something you would issue to the appellants based on their project and their development on their property? No, I wouldn't. It's not a it's not a big complex multi-phase project that would typically warrant a phase occupancy. What if the Langs were building um, a separate pool and pool house on their property um, that is is apart from their main residence? Would you consider a phased occupancy under those circumstances? Yes. Yes. Okay. And and how would that look? So I mean, generally speaking, we would um, we would issue a certificate of occupancy for the primary residence and the conditions associated with the primary residence would need to be met. And then we would um, await um, completion of the, the pool house and the pool and then the associated conditions of approval for, for that. Okay, so if under a phased occupancy, 
if the lanes were to complete their uh, primary residential structure mm -hmm. and not complete their pool house mm -hmm. and not yet um, comply with their wetland enhancement and mitigation plan mm -hmm. for the property. Mm -hmm. Their building is complete of their primary structure mm -hmm. and they've met all the building requirements, but they still haven't met the zoning requirements for the entire property. Correct. Would you give them a certificate of occupancy for their residential structure? Probably not. Yeah. Okay. So, so phased occupancy yeah. doesn't mean you can phase right the conditions the conditions right. of the structure that is being given a certificate of occupancy right right that's that's correct okay um is there a moderate landslide hazard on the length property yes there is and does that require per our code um, the geologically hazardous covenant and the notice of geologically hazardous area Yes, it does. Um, and uh, with the wetland stream enhancement and mitigation monitoring plan, are you aware of the requirements um, on that, that that the appellants still require, or would Ms. Andrew be the person to ask about that? Yeah, Ms. Andrew has a probably more current sense of exactly what has been the conditions um, associated with that that have been met to date. Okay. So um, I can follow up with her on that. Um, and uh, I don't think I have any other questions. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Weinstein. All right. And Ms. Kroll, did you want to uh, more questions of Ms. Andrew at this point? I do. Okay. I do. Um, so Ms. Andrew, can you tell us uh, with regard to the requirement for a wetland uh, stream enhancement and mitigation plan. Can you explain to us why that is required? So why the um, why the mitigation plan itself is required or the monitoring? Both. Or both? Yes. I, they, okay. They're combined in one. Let me ask you first. Okay. What enhancement is required? Why is monitoring required? So the, the enhancement or kind of um, mitigation and planting information that's provided by an applicant is going to meet the planting standards to preserve and enhance those identified critical areas. Okay, go ahead um, and tell the hearing exam. Oh, that's okay. Sorry. I forgot to let you know, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Um, so that's the purpose of kind of uh, getting the as-built and getting the mitigation plan so it shows what are the plantings that went in and are they meeting the standards of chapter 90 in the code, which is the chapter that dictates all of our critical areas for streams and wetlands. Um, and then there is a monitoring phase basically to establish that those plantings um, thrive and that they really take root and, you know, um, oftentimes either through watering practices or, or anything like that, you can have some failure of some of, some of the plantings or really even, um, kind of get a, a, a lemon of a shrub or a tree, right? So it, it establishes out um, multiple years to make sure that, that is successful and that it is properly maintaining the critical area. Now, with regard to the um, mitigation enhancement, do we just say, go ahead and plant something and you're good to go? 
or do we require a plan? Do we require to know where they are planting things and what they are planting? Yeah, so we require um, the as-built that is used. There's two methods of monitoring that are codified in chapter 90. Um, and both of those need to start with um, an as-built plan that shows exactly the species and location. It's, in, it's incredibly detailed and um, it gets signed off and prepared and submitted to the city so that we know what is there. And that's your baseline for your established annual monitoring. So this is what was put in. Um, yeah, like I said, species, specific locations, all of that. And the city has to approve that plan, correct? Yes, we approve it also through, um, we work with a subconsultant, the watershed company. And so we work with them um, as subject matter experts for um, critical areas to um, establish that that's compliant or sufficient enough for them to be able to use as that baseline. All right, now in the present case mm -hmm. with regard to appellant's property, what have they provided the city thus far? What has been approved and what is still outstanding with regard to the wetland stream enhancement and mitigation monitoring requirement? Sure, so this one has many steps. Um, where we are at thus far, we received and the, I'm not sure what date it was, we received an initial landscape plan. And like I said, we work with the watershed company um, as subject matter experts for this. So that got sent over them to take an initial look. Is this, is this sufficient enough for that baseline? They provided some comments which um, are enclosed. Uh, they're part of the enclosures that were provided for the report. Um, and the Langs have provided a revised updated landscape plan. Um, so that will get run past watershed again. Um, and then as I alluded to before, chapter 90 kind of has these two pathways for applicants. They can choose to use their own biologist to do the monitoring and maintenance reports, their annual reports that have to be provided. And those get peer reviewed by watershed or uh, applicants are able to work directly with watershed. So they can um, hire them to do not only the monitoring reports, but kind of, and to do the monitoring reports themselves because then it doesn't have to be peer reviewed. So. Right now we have the revised landscape plan. We would want to know which route the applicants want to go in. Um, and cause there'll be different quotes and, and, and maybe a different pathway. We kind of set that up with watershed. Um, and in order to establish the security, we would have an updated and completed King County bond quantity worksheet that has to be provided. Um, we put that in and there are, um, calculations that go into that to establish the security that is held and, and 90 details how that security can be held with the city. There's a variety of different options. Do you know when the um, appellants returned the uh, plan to you with comments? The landscape? Yes. The updated landscape plan? Yes. I believe, give me one second, I can see when it Are you looking in the record or just on mybuildingpermit.com or what are you I was I was looking in our internal system because I know the date is the same as what it's in the, the in the report, but this is just a bit faster for me to find. Um, That's fine, so, just for the record, is have no sure. problem if you're looking at. Your sure, record. it would have been mid-February 2022. So we have a date of February 13th, 2022 is when it came in our system. They could have possibly uploaded that a day earlier. Sometimes there's a little variation there, but so it was it was sent after they filed this appeal to the hearing examiner. Yes. All right, and currently it has to be peer reviewed. Is that correct? Yes. And is that peer review 
have, has that been started? It hasn't. Okay. And um, once the peer review is started, um, do who pays for the peer review? Um, an applicant. They, so they need to pay for the peer review, correct? Um, yes. Yeah. All right. And, and so it hasn't started. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that peer review, you still need to have a final plan that is approved, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that baseline. And then you need to have a bond. Then, then the, as my understanding is they need to choose whether they're going to do self-monitoring or monitoring by a landscape company. It's by, um, it's by, I believe, a certified biologist. We may have some terminology in the code of a couple of different um, options. Yes. All right. Yeah. And they need to choose that. Yes. Has yeah. that choice been made to you? It has not. Okay. And then they need to provide a bond. Is that correct? Yes. All right. And, and have they provided a bond? No. All right. So that is, that's a, that's a provision that appears that they are recently making some move forward movement on though. Is that correct? Yes. All right. So we're happy with that. Is there, um, I, I have actually no further questions at this time. Oh, you're on. Yeah. I had a leaf blower behind me. Mr. <laughs> Cross. Um, just, uh, just maybe one uh, question that is perhaps rhetorical, but uh, you can certainly answer, Ms. Andrew. So these conditions, uh, while they've been described as routine, um, can be quite long, lengthy, involved in uh, an iterative process with the city, correct? Um, the con to satisfy the conditions themselves, um, there are multiple steps to them, yes. And those steps take uh, um, a fair amount of time in your experience? Objection calls for speculation. I don't know what uh, a fair amount of time means. It's been four and a half years since they came in for a pre-submittal. So if you mean four and a half years, you can ask her, does it generally take four and a half years? Mr. Zoll, do you want to clarify? I don't. I, I would like her experience in, in working with these, and I think it's very clear. And uh, I am surprised that I'm getting an objection on this question. Yeah, well, I just want a clarification on what you mean by a significant amount of time, I guess. Uh, um, longer than a month. Okay. Thank you. Um, not necessarily. No, it doesn't need to take that long. Um, yeah, some just, of it is. Um, yeah, I'm asking. No, it doesn't need to take more than a month. Okay. Do you do you recall uh, how long it took after the Langs submitted their um, their as belts uh, for their mitigation plan to for the city to respond? I do not. I have no further questions. Okay. Ms. Grawl, any redirect? No, I do not have any redirect. All right. Thank you, Ms. Andrew. And uh, Ms. Grawl, any more uh, witnesses from the city? 
No, we have no more witnesses from the city. Okay. Uh, Mr. Ajala, do you, do you anticipate your witnesses will take a significant amount of time? Do we need to take a break now or do you just want to jump right into it? Um, uh, how about how about both? It's not going to take long, but maybe just a short break so we okay. can get through it efficiently. Does that work with everybody? Yeah, yeah. let's take a 10 minute break till uh, 10, well, 1045, let's say. We'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay, I think we're just about ready to get started again. Just need to get the city back online. Thank you, we're here. I think um, Rita may have closed her computer and so it may take her a minute to get back on. Oh, there she is, good. Okay, great, yeah. And I see the city's back with us, so we're almost there. Okay. Let's see, for the record, we're uh, back on uh, in the hearing of May 12th, 2022, 10.45 a.m. We just took a little, uh, about 10 minute break um, on the Lang Building Permit Appeal Certificate of Occupancy. At this point, we've moved on to the appellant's uh, presentation and uh, Mr. Jolly, I believe you have Ms. Lang as your first witness. That's correct, Your Honor. Okay. Yeah, let's see, Ms. Lang, your video isn't uh, working yet. Do you, um, Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah, I can't see you yet. Do you, do you want your video to show or not? Somehow I got kicked off the video. There it goes. Oh, there we go. Okay, let me sorry in this line. Just raise your right hand. You swear from the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I do. Okay, great. Go ahead. Um, Rita, uh, uh, you're a homeowner and also the general contractor for your project, correct? Correct. And you're an, you're an architect, correct? Correct. Um, before we get into generalities, I just want to piggyback off of uh, some of the testimony that we just finished up with um, Ms. Ander on. Can you describe uh, for me when the, the from last summer when the first time you submitted uh, as built uh, on your mitigation work to the city? Yes, I submitted a request through my building permit at the end of June, a zoning review. And then on June 30th, I sent over an as-build planting plan. I requested review of that, um, worked back and forth with Ms. Ander around the 13th of July or so, 13th, 14th of July. And then I did not get another response until September after you had submitted a request for a occupancy. Uh, you broke up a little bit on my recording. Uh, you said you didn't receive a response back until after we submitted the request for the certificate of occupancy? Correct, in September. Okay. And you're not challenging that you need a mitigation plan or anything like that. You're you just would like a certificate of occupancy, and you'll you're ready, willing, and able to work out the terms of the mitigation component. Correct. Correct. And in your experience working with the city, you know that that can take a long time. Correct. Correct. And by a long time, I mean more than. A month is that is historically that, uh, on this historically on this project it has taken more than a month to get approvals okay just for the record i was waiting for a phone to stop there just in generally rita just backing up big picture can you describe a short um 
uh, briefly, you know, timeline of when you moved to Kirkland, bought your home, went to the city about uh, working on your house, remodeling, and, and just kind of the whole, your whole um, experience here, if you can, just kind of bullet point, it doesn't have to be an hour uh, answer. Yeah. Just, just generally describe your experience for the, for the hearing examiner. Sure. We purchased our house in 2003, and due to the condition of the house, which was a duplex, our intent was to develop it again as a duplex. So from 2003 up through about 2015, we were working with the city to try to rebuild another duplex that was denied. And so we decided in 2017 to go in for a single family residence to replace the existing duplex. And through 2017 until 2019, we worked with the city to satisfy the conditions on the zoning portion of it. In 2019, we submitted for a building permit and that was approved in 2020. And then uh, it entered the construction phase. We started construction in May of 2020. That was uh, right, uh, right around the COVID era or when was that? It was right around the COVID era. Yeah, right when we were allowed to start again. We had actually started the process in March and we were shut down for COVID and then we restarted in May. Can you describe your working relationship with city inspectors that came out to the site during construction? Yeah, the, they were very helpful. Um, we worked through any, any challenges we had. We had immediate response, same day or the next day. It was a really, really good experience working with the inspectors of the city. Um, can you contrast that with um, working with the uh, paperwork side or permitting planning side of this project? Yeah, it was the, the planning portion of it was a lengthier process. It would routinely take a month or two or three to get responses and to work through some of the challenges that we had with this property. And um, that's been your experience to date, correct? With, with this project? Correct. Were the um, requirements that Jennifer sent you on June 23rd, 2021 in her email um, ever sent to you specifically prior to that, those yeah. specific requirements and forms? Those forms were, that was the first time I had seen those forms. And um, the city wanted you to just sign those documents and return them to the city? That's correct. And why were you concerned with just signing them and returning them to the city? Some of the same as what I believe. Ms. Lang, I wasn't, uh, have parties been able to hear Ms. Lang? I, I just, the last few seconds, I, she kind of cut out. Okay, 
there were a few items in there that were different than what we had agreed to to get our permit. Okay, so let me ask the question again because the hearing examiner said you broke up a little bit, okay? So can you explain again why you were concerned with just signing the forms and returning them to the city? There were a few items there that were different than what we had believed we agreed to to get our permit. And so you wanted an opportunity then to work with the city to figure out what those differences were, correct? Correct. Um, why did you want a certificate of occupancy prior to working those things out? The process in the past was quite lengthy and I felt like it would take quite a while to resolve some of those issues. And we needed to have a place to live. And uh, the, the building inspectors came out and had um, signed off on all the life safety, building code, zoning code issues related to the structure, is that correct? That is correct. Do you, um, did you hear Mr. Weinstein say that uh, he wanted these done prior to your certificate of occupancies for the precise reason that the city would have leverage over you? Did you hear his testimony on that? Yes. In your experience, is that, do you understand that to be fair? No. And are these conditions uh, things that you think can be worked through in a rapid two-day process? No. Were there any other reasons why you wanted to move into your house? We had three break-ins while we were waiting. And the police came to, on the third break-in, we had the police come and they told us that unoccupied houses will continue to get broken into. So we do need to move into it. In uh, your experience, and you're a licensed architect, Rita? I'm not a licensed architect. I am okay. a trained and schooled architect. And so, and you worked uh, for um, Starbucks for years? 18 years. And residential for three years prior to Starbucks. Okay. Um, and so uh, 
in your experience, professional experience, um, you've dealt with permitting structures and, and, and having uh, code reviewers review health and safety issues related to structures, correct? Correct. In your experience, um, are the conditions that the city is, are requiring have anything to do with the life safety and health issues of the structure? Objection, it's irrelevant, Your Honor. We've already stipulated that the building of the structure, all of the building um, uh, code requirements have been met. That is not even the issue here. Mr. Ojala? Um, I appreciate the stipulation. Um, the, the Ms. Kroll was asking questions about uh, code requirements that you know aren't at issue. Um, I, you know, I think it's a fair question. It goes to what people's expectations are as a landowner and what fairness is. And this hearing is about, in the sense, due process. So I think it's a fair question. Okay, let's yeah, let's just get through that one quick then. Sure, go ahead. So I'll, I'll rephrase the question, Rita, or, or shorten it. Uh, I'd asked these, these can, in your experience of working with uh, uh, health and safety issues with structures in your permitting at Starbucks for things, um, do the remaining conditions have anything to do with, with the life, safety, and occupants of the structure in your experience? Same objection. Overall, No. Would you like a, a predictable and timely way to work out any remaining uh, lawful conditions with the city that are tailored to your property? Yes. And do you feel that uh, email exchanges with the city is um, not a fair, predictable, and timely way to work out those issues? I feel it is not a fair way to work through it. I have no further questions for Ms. Lang. Okay, Ms. Kroll and Cross. I do. Um, Ms. Lang, um, your representative went in for pre-submittal meeting in 2017, is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Your, your video is frozen. I heard your answer. I think you're back on now. I just, I just want to make sure that your testimony is clearly heard. So um, is it correct that, that your representative went in in 2017? That's correct. Thank you. And um, at that time, you knew that all five of these outstanding zoning requirements were going to be required before a certificate of occupancy would issue. Isn't that true? No, and not during, during pre-submittal. It, it's in the code and you received notes, which are exhibit three. No, not three. The pre-submittal notes are exhibit 18, correct? I have the pre-submittal notes in front of me. Okay. And so um, then you applied for your building permit in February of 2019. Is that right? 
Just a second. That's correct. And the building permit was issued on April 3rd, 2020. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. And that included uh, exhibit three, which were the special conditions. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. So between, between April 3rd, 2020 and June 24th, 2021, when the city asked you for a landscape plan, what did you do to work on the landscape plan that you knew was going to be required before the certificate of occupancy issued? I provided a landscape plan on June 30th. Okay, so between um, April 3rd of 2020, and over a year later, on June 30th of 2021, you did nothing to work with the city on the landscape plan. Is that correct? The landscape plan was the as-build. And, and you didn't do anything on it. Is that correct? Until the city asked for it on June 24th of 2021. The city had an existing landscape plan to build to. Previously, in December, provided by Cedar Rock on December 2019. Okay, included in the package from Cedar Rock Consultant. The planting plan attachments are included in that package. Okay, and that, that is not first. The first one was done on October 2019. That's a report. So what you did between April 3rd, 2020 and December 2020 was obtain a report. The report was completed in 2019. And was submitted with your permit. That's correct. Okay. And so then you didn't actually put together a landscape plan then for over a year, even though you had that report. The landscape plan was the as built that they requested of us. You have to, you cannot create an as built until the plantings are completed. There was no way to create a landscape as built plan prior to the landscaping being done after the construction was completed or during construction. Okay. That was what was requested of us. The landscape plan has to go through review by watershed. That was reviewed and approved by watershed prior to starting construction. What exhibit are you looking at? This is Cedar Rock exhibit that you have in your packet. Environmental consulting. It was approved by Jennifer Andrew. On what day? I'm sorry, you're it be in the exhibit. It was, it was a condition of receiving the, uh, it was part of the critical area study and it was required before we could submit for building permit. 
So how do you, how are you reconciling the fact that that plan is, can be an as-built when you had to submit it before you even applied for your building permit? That's obviously not the plan the city needs. I object to the form of the question. That's not what my client answered. It's what the lawyer is saying. My client is clearly saying that the, she submitted an as-built in the summer and it submitted a plan prior. That's what my client is testifying to. We don't have to keep going around in circles on this. Well, I, she's, she's not, she keeps changing her answer to my questions. I appreciate that you clarified that. We all know she did not submit the plan until June 24th, after June 24th of 2021, when the city had to ask for it. The city prompted it. We got the plan. It was submitted to Watershed and Watershed returned it on September 17th, 2021, with comments that it needed to be changed. And that was forwarded to you, correct? Correct, that was the as-build plan. The original landscape plan was in the hands of the city and watershed company since December, 2019. So after September 17th of 2021, when you received Watershed's comments, you did not respond by submitting anything to the city until February of 2022, is that correct? That is correct because we were going through the process, working through the certificate of occupancy. So it took you five months to respond to Watershed's comments and you wanted the certificate of occupancy before you even responded to Watershed's comments. That is correct. All right. Um, and um, I have a question about um, the, uh, actually I don't, I don't have any further questions. Okay, thank you, Ms. Kroll. Uh, Mr. Ojala, any redirect? Yeah, Rita, when is the first time you submitted an as-built to the city for comment? It was June 30th, 2021. And then you received comments back from the watershed company, correct? In, In September, correct. And that was, we got the comments back from the watershed company after we asked for a certificate of occupancy? That's correct. Okay. And... Um, so it was from June until uh, late September, October that it took for the city to get you comments back on your as-built? That's correct. And then you revised your as-built and submitted that in February, correct? That's correct. And you haven't received any further comments back on that submittal in February? Correct. So it's been three months since you've submitted that to the city and you haven't heard any further comments back. So for all you know, it's good. Correct. I have no further questions. Okay. All right, thank you, Ms. Lang for your testimony. Mr. Ojala, any other witnesses? Yeah, mm -hmm. I'll call uh, Harley Lang. Okay, Mr. Lang, raise your right hand. Do you swear firm, tell the truth, nothing but the truth in this proceeding? I do. Okay. Well, I had my nice little list of questions for you, Skip, and um, 
Uh, That's okay. You you can take your time to find. Yeah, them. let me just uh, find that. Okay. Skip, you saw in um, Mr. Weinstein's declaration where he said that uh, you made no effort to do mitigation work, correct? Yes. I know I touched on this with Mr. Weinstein and he clarified, I, I don't want to repeat his testimony, but he clarified that a little bit, but um, Enclosure 12 in the materials is an email I sent with a um, with a um, with the as built February as built second as built plan that was submitted by you folks and it has some pictures in it. Do you have that enclosure with you? I. I don't, but I'm familiar with it. <clears throat> okay. So recalling from memory, that includes uh, photographs of the mitigation area on your property, correct? Yes, I'm very familiar with that. Uh, can you explain to the hearing examiner why you're so familiar with that area? Yes. Um, so since... Um, I was familiar with the plan that was being put together originally by Cedar Rock and then peer reviewed and approved by the watershed company um, on behalf of the city prior to our um, building permit. Um, and then starting in April, I was personally involved with overseeing a, a lot of the work that went on to start to remove all the invasive plants. It was pretty extensive, bamboo, ivy, holly, every type of invasive plant um, uh, had to be removed by hand. I did a lot of it myself and had help from uh, some young cousins even. Um, so um, the all that work was, was done um, during, basically during the, um, well, the, the building was being built. Um, so we um, removed all the invasive plants um, by hand, um, built a fence, uh, put mulch down, um, acquired all the plants from the native plant sale, planted them, and then it was a very hot summer. So we watered everything by hand. Um, and then, and those plants have been, that work has actually been done for over a year now. Um, and, um, we've even now it's been over a year with the native plant sale coming up again. So we're, we've actually added a few plants to that, um, plan. So, and, and it's doing, it's doing quite well. We had, we've had very little, uh, attrition or incursion of, of, um, any 
invasive plants. So <clears throat> yes, that work's been painstakingly done um, <clears throat> and maintained for over a year now. Some of the plants are taller than I am. Some of the trees started out as tiny saplings and they're taller than I am now. And you're six foot, correct? Ish. Yeah. And um, you've planted more plants in there, native plants, than what the plan called for, correct? Yes. Rita has um, been keeping track with a spreadsheet of all the different all the different plants and keeping and keeping count. And you guys have uh, kept photographs of that area to document the progress and any concerns. Correct. And um, you were sent, uh, or you you were either sent or saw a lot of the requirements that the city sent you on 6-23-2021 and Jennifer Andrews' email that they just wanted you to sign. Um, you've had a chance to review those, correct? Yes, I've looked at all of them. Why didn't you just sign them, Skip, and, and give them to the city? Um, for me, any legal document um, or contract, um, I've, I take it very seriously, and I want to make sure that it makes sense um, So um, and that it applies and is necessary. So it just as a professional um, practice. I, um, I never just sign anything. Uh, and uh, so I, don't, I guess that answer you, answers your question. That's just like, just kind of how, how we are. <clears throat> and you saw words like notary and perpetuity and things like that in these documents? That's correct, yes. And to you, that's that means you got to uh, figure out what you're signing and and signing up for, correct? Right. And I also um, I also took time to read the city's code for things like NGPE um, and others where there's specific um, conditions that have to be maintained. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't take anything light, you know, I wouldn't sign anything lightly that would require me or future owner of a property to um, maintain something or, or, or create some kind of condition um, without, you know, thinking, making sure that it's reasonable and, and, and considering that it's a significant, it would, could potentially be a significant requirement. So it's not that you're unwilling to do this. You just don't want to have somebody with undue leverage over you as you go through it, correct? Well, yeah, that's correct. I, I, ultimately, <clears throat> this might be a good time to say it that you know I, I I don't I don't have any issue and I um, with and have never intended to not comply with any city requirement. Um, really the, the, the request um, and the reason why we pursued the um, temporary occupancy is 
um, a concept was that we wanted, we knew this was going to take potentially take time and we wanted to be able to thoughtfully consider all these things and not just, you know, sign them because we're under pressure um, financially or otherwise. Okay, is there anything else that you'd like to tell the hearing examiner before you wrap it up? Yeah, I guess just maybe maybe just to um, add to my last comment, um, you know, we <clears throat> we really wondered whether we should um, bring our case to you um, and and considering that over the last several months the the request that we made for temporary occupancy seemed to um, not not be helping. Um, the original purpose of this was that time was of the essence. Um, interest rates have doubled during that time. Um, we, as Rita said, we needed a place to live. This property was our has been our home for almost 20 years um we and you know we had to move away for part of the, for some time during the construction and we wanted to be able to um we wanted to be able to move back and do things the right way and that was really what was behind the temporary occupancy just knowing that especially considering that the house was done in June or the end of June and really not a lot happened over the summer. Our concern was, okay, well, let's, let's make, make sure this is legitimate so we can move in, not worry about security, um, be back in our home. And then we can work out all of the, the remaining issues. There's um, so, so really, I guess that's the, those are the, the my kind of my final thoughts all of these we wanted time to take on each of these documents and be thoughtful um as we go through them and not just be be under pressure or or leveraged to agree to something that we weren't 100 percent um comfortable with so that was really the the purpose of the process which seems to have uh um you know, it continues to drag out and, and, and is still a concern. Okay, thank you. I have no further questions. Okay, Ms. Kroll. Okay, Mr. Lang, um, you um, said that you wanted some time be able to comply with all of the outstanding requirements with regard to the tree maintenance agreement. Um, you were provided with the um, agreement on June 24th, 2021. Is that correct? I believe so. All right. And you know what the uh, agreement contains, you know what the city's asked for you to maintain. What do you disagree with? Well, I can't say that I disagree with any specific um, re requirements or, re or requests of the city. What I 
Um, but it, I would say it's um, our impression was that the first step was re relating to the as built and of the planting plan. And that was our focus. We thought that was the first step in the process. Well, for the tree retention plan, it, the approved plan set is included as enclosure 21. And it was approved by the city's arborist in, on November 13, 2019. I, I just object to the form of the question as to who's testifying here. Isn't that correct? Okay, uh, overruled, go ahead. You can look at page seven of um, the city's report and enclosure 21. Skip, can you turn to enclosure 21 and find a, a uh, see if you can find a tree plan in enclosure 21? I don't have it in front of me. Um, um, I can, Ms. Crowley, you could share screen. Could you do that? It's, it's Jennifer's screen, so we'll see if she can pull up Enclosure okay. 21. I'm looking for it myself. Shoot. Bear with us for a second. You have all of these um, documents, and I, I got them all separately, so I'm trying to Skip, you can wait for Jennifer to pull it up on the Zoom screen. It'll be easier. Okay. okay. But I, during my screen, actually, smaller. Okay. We can see uh, sharing his screen. Is somebody sharing screen? Yeah, I'm sharing screen. I've got it up on the screen right All now. Right. So this Thank identifies you. this document, Enclosure 21, identifies the trees required for retention. Yeah. As approved by the city's development review arborist on November 13, 2019. Which page? Um, the site plan shows it, but it also sometimes throughout the page one. Page one. Okay. There we go. Okay. All right. All right. And so, based on this plan, which you were provided in November of 2019, you were then seven months later asked to sign the tree maintenance agreement based on this plan and you've refused, why? Oh, I would say I have not refused. You have refused, you haven't signed it. I, I would say those are two different things. Based on this plan, I, you're I'm asked not, to sign the, the tree maintenance agreement. Why have you not signed it? I um, 
I can't answer that question. All I, all I can say is that I've, I'm, I'm not refusing to assign it. I just have not signed it. Will you sign it today? As long as I'm um, under co consultation with, with my wife and, and with Peter, I, maybe I would. I haven't, I, I haven't been asked to sign it um, anytime recently at least. And I'm not sure why you're pushing on this point, but- um, Mr. Um, Lang, this is one of the requirements you've been asked to comply with and you have not complied with it. It has been requested of you since June 24th of 2021. You have refused to sign the agreement. I object to the form of the question and the argumentative nature of this. The question's been asked and answered, and I still don't see a tree plan uh, in front of me. Okay, let's, uh, let, let's the move on. The tree plan is right in front of you, Mr. Ojala. These Sir. must remain on the job site. The trees are circled. It, it, to me, it almost seems like this document, maybe this document should have been signed, but in the beginning of the process project, as far, as far as I can tell, I don't know the process, but I've, um, you, Mr. Lane, you and your wife have had numerous emails with the city with regard to these requirements. Is that correct? I I know there's been a lot of emails that have gone back and forth. Um, and that's actually been part of our concern is that the process is very confusing and very slow. What is confusing about signing a document to maintain the trees clearly shown on this plan? If if that's truly what this requirement is, it's not confusing. And I would probably suggest that it should have been signed before we even broke ground on the pro project. Okay, thank you. Um, with regard to the geologically hazardous area covenant, um, you submitted a geotechnical report to the city from AESI, what does it stands for? Associated Earth Sciences Incorporated. Associated Earth Sciences Incorporated. And it was dated in July of 2018. The report itself that you submitted references our code, the zoning code chapter 85, and identifies both high and moderate landslide hazard areas on your property at eight through nine of the report on enclosure 24. Is that testimony or is there a question there? I, I, I'm asked, I asked him if he had that. I'm sorry, I asked him if he received that, if he submitted I was, that. I, I yes, I read, I read, that. I saw that document and I read it in detail last week. Okay, so this was, this was a document that was dated in 2018 and submitted to the city with your building permit application in 2019. It identifies landslide hazard areas on your property, does it not? 
I, I'm not a geologist, but I, when I read it, when I read that report, I actually concluded the opposite, that there were, there is little to no, um, landslide risk or other hazards on our property. But again, I'm not, a, I'm not a geologist. Um, and that document, um, I, I only I read I only read the detail of that document in in preparation for this hearing. Okay, so so I I understand that that you might not understand the document, but um, page eight through nine of enclosure twenty four, if it identifies high or moderate landslide hazard areas on your property. Do you agree that you would need to sign the geologically hazardous area covenant? I object to the form of the question as a hypothetical and assumes facts not in evidence. We just went through this that it said that the high risk was off the property. And uh, moderate risks are on the property. Okay. Overall, please answer the question, Mr. Lang. If, if it was that, I'm sorry, I'll wait until this phone. It's not ringing. If it was deemed that our property has a geohazard and the, uh, um, the agreement that we're asked to sign is only confirming what has been, um, you know, identified by a professional, I don't believe I would have any problems signing um, a document to acknowledge that. All right, so I'm I'm looking at it, and um, it indicates mm -hmm. that there are landslide hazard areas on your property that require the signing of this document. The point made by you previously was that the report said they were outside the disturbance proposed for your construction. Do you recall that discussion? I do. And do you recall Mr. Weinstein's testimony that if there is a landslide hazard area on the property, it needs to be recorded by a covenant, whether it's within the area of disturbance or not? Do you recall oh, that? Do you have any that, objection yes. to signing the geologically hazardous area covenant? Uh, object to the form of the question. We were talking about the notice versus the covenant. There's two different there's two different documents you're asking for. I've been talking about the covenant right now. I'll get to the notice. Okay. You, so you're breaking up pretty badly when you ask that question. Can you repeat? I sure can. Uh, always let me know if you hear or understand the question. I don't want you to guess at what I've said or 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 you, what you've been asked. Can you pull the covenant up in front of him on the screen so it's very clear what you're asking? I don't, is the covenant in there? It, it, yeah, it was, it's an attachment to the email on the 24th. There's a copy that specifically yep. has their stuff populated. Okay, so it's attached to the email on the 24th. So, so which enclosure are we looking at here? Enclosure is looking at. 
Um, Sorry. Okay, so the I think it's two, the so September twenty fourth. It'd be in um, in twenty two. Closure twenty two is the email requesting those. And oh, had yeah. the okay, so enclosure twenty two has the geologically hazardous area covenant attached. Page seven. Can you turn it? Can you pull it up? Yeah. Um, closure 28. Computer, so it's not linked well. Uh, okay, I've been looking at enclosure 24. If it's uh, you see it? Does that uh, is it showing right now? Thank, thank you, Mr. Okay. Henry Examiner. Okay, so with regard to the um, enclosure 21, excuse me, enclosure 24, which is the geotechnical report, and this exhibit, which is the covenant, what is your objection to signing? I, the only, my only concern just, um, my, really, my only concern on this is that if if uh, if the main thrust of this is to indemnify the city from um, from um, from from anything related to geohazard, and there really and there actually isn't geohazard, then I would be I would question whether I should um, sign All it. All right. So so the document. That you submitted yourself, the geotechnical report says there is a geohazard on your property. It's your document. It's your report. Objection, argumentative. If for some reason you will not sign this. Overrule. I would like to sit down and go through both documents in a thoughtful way and um, before I would sign this document. Um, but I have not refused to sign this document and um, or others. Um, the purpose of of this hearing, as far as I have understood, and this process that we've been going through since October was, not and I and honestly, the disputing a disputing of a lot of facts and everything today is, was not what I expected. Um, the um, the the concern really um, was that we wanted to be able to do things the right way and have occupancy and not have um be under pressure as we go through this process which um you know seems somewhat seems somewhat serious when you're when you're signing these types of documents and um should be able to go through it thoughtfully without either party or having leverage or threat um I would like to, uh, I'm sorry, I have a technical issue, Mr. Lang. Can, can everyone hear us? Yes, I can hear yes. you. Can everyone see us? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. So we can still hear you, but we have completely lost our screen. I'm going to proceed forward, but I don't have the opportunity to see uh, the screen. But I'll, I'm just going to proceed forward because I can hear you. So um, I, I think I can move on. And um, there's also the notice of the geologically hazardous area, which is based upon the same um, report, which says there is a geologically hazardous area on your property. And we haven't added anything to it or taken anything away from it. Is this, what is the reason you won't sign the notice of geologically hazardous area? On that one, I my current interpretation differ of that report differs from what you're saying. If you know, if, if we could sit down and go through it together with, you know, that would be a change in the in the way this process has gone so far. Well, so Mr. Lane, you had numerous emails with Jen Anderer about this issue, correct? Specifically about this geohazardous, your questions about geohazard? About all of the issues. Isn't that um, there have been emails back and forth, but the first, the, the we had, we had very little and slow response over the entire summer. And that's really what started this whole process. We were concerned. We were concerned that, that we didn't have enough engagement with the city um, last summer. And so, so, so I, I don't quite understand. Well, since then, you, you received an email um, dated December 1, 2021, from Adam Weinstein to your attorney, Peter Ojala, explaining the reasons for all of these conditions. Can you pull up, could the hearing examiner please pull up Exhibit 29? Can you pull up 29? I'm going to have to need to look at it here because I don't have the screen in front of me. Okay, give me a second here. So 29, all right. Are we on break? No, we're still going, sorry. Okay, so this is four, I believe. Okay, 29, getting close. All right, here, okay, I'll share screen at this point. There you go. Okay, should be on the screen now. And Ms. Kroll, did you, are you able to see the share screen? I am not, but I okay. am looking at the email right now. We're having somebody work on it. I don't know if we want to take a break while we get it back up. That might oh, be better. Oh, wait. Can... Okay, we're back up. Okay, great. There's the email. Okay, what happened? What do, uh, Maybe one second. Maybe the input on the remote, possibly. Something I can think of, like the input, change the input on the. All right. Touch the remote. Okay. <laughs> we won't touch. The okay, we're not going to touch our remote Thanks. anymore. And I apologize. 
So, um, all right. So I'm looking up. Um, this email says um, that we um, dis they discussed the geotechnical covenants and notices and the Greenbelt Protection Easement. And this is the email where we sent projects that have these same requirements as what the Langs projects have. Did you review these projects and, and determine that they were not applicable or something? I did not review those projects. Okay. Did, were you aware of the fact that the city sent you examples of similar projects to yours where these requirements were easily met by every applicant? I am aware of that narrative, but I'm not aware of the examples. That does not mean that it's not, that's not happened, but personally not. I mean, there's, there's this one. Okay. Uh, which one were you explaining? This one? That was my declaration, yeah. Where's the email This is the initial one where I denied the request for the certificate of occupancy. But then there was... Just a moment while I look for an exhibit. <clears throat> All right, Mr. Lang, um, I, I don't I don't want to prolong this hearing unnecessarily, but in um, of the denial decision itself, it explains why these requirements are necessary. And have you read the denial decision, which is exhibit two? I, um, I'm not sure if I've, I, I can't say that I've read it for sure. Um, I, I probably have, but I, I would want to, I, I can't, I can't answer that hundred percent. All right. And um, with regard to the native greenbelt protective easement, there was a site plan sent to you with enclosure number 24, showing the extent of the NGPE per our code. Is that enclosure 25? You said 24, which is a, which is a, which is a. Do we have the exhibit number wrong? It's 25. It's, the it's 25. Thank you, Peter. Okay. Let's see which one that is. It's hard for me to tell which enclosures are which. Um, I think she's referring to the map that has a bunch of. of exhibit 25. That's the graphic, the marked up graphic. Okay, yes. With the blue That's on the it. one that has that, that the additional section of NGPE. 
Correct. Yes, I'm familiar with this. All right. I, and, yeah. And what is your reason for not signing the um, easement based upon this exhibit? The um, when I saw this document, I was really surprised about the NGPE um, painted in the back of the property because it is completely different than anything that we saw when we agreed to the, um, what, prior to our permit and prior and even after, that whole section in the, in the back of the property conflicts with the plan that Cedar Rock and Watershed um, had um, done for us, you know, had created um, for us. So that was the news. I, that was, this was, that was news to me and I don't know what that whole back section means. Um, and so it, I, I was, I'm very concerned with that um, because I haven't done any, it, it was, this was brand new information that, 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 that the city would want us to um, create NGPE on the back of the property. Um, this is a total surprise. I understand it's a surprise. Can you tell me how you think it's not merited under the code? I, um, I may, I believed that prior to the permit being issued on the, on our project, the code had been interpreted um, ac accurately, and that the plan that we agreed to um, was was inclusive. So th that's why it was a surprise. That back part was a surprise, and I to this to date, I don't know what it means even. You you don't understand what a native growth protective easement is. Is that correct? What? Well, it's not. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know what you're saying, Mr. Lang. Can you explain further? Yes, let me elaborate. So, prior to us getting a building permit for this project, there were there was extensive um, and length time-consuming and costly um, reports, plans, and discussions about what mitigation was required in order for us to receive a building permit to um, demolish our home and rebuild a new house in, in the same place. And the area on this plan uh, or on this that we see on the screen that was agreed to in all of those reports that I mentioned and discussions that I mentioned are are all the area alongside the house there in blue. When we got this email from Jennifer in, I think you said it was December, um, but you know, well into our, um, you know, long after we thought that this project would be completed and 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 approved. We, for the first time, we saw that this back portion was um, 
considered um, uh, NGPE space. And what I'm saying is I don't, I don't, to this, to date, I don't know what that means for us. And I would need, I need to understand that before I would um, sign that document. Furthermore, if I had, it's concerning that I was encouraged to sign that document in September without even with without even having any knowledge of of that whole back portion. Okay, so Mr. Lang, are you aware of the NGPE requirements in the city code? I am. All right. And um, can you tell me how this request is non-compliant with the city's code? Objection. This, call, this is what the, this is calls for a legal conclusion to the nth degree. All right. Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, uh, Mr. Lang has been testifying about his understanding of what he was supposed to do. And he's put that in issue. And uh, this is a, a fair question. It's just his understanding that not asking for a legal opinion. So uh, overall. With, with that, I'm fine if he answers. Can you repeat the question? Yes. Um, the question is, can you tell me how this is not compliant with the city's NGPE code requirements? No, I, I, rely on, I relied on um, the watershed company to interpret that prior to us breaking ground and getting our permit. All right, I believe you're confusing the wetland, or excuse me, the uh, stream mitigation requirements with NGPEs. And they are not the same thing. And um, this has been explained in the director's decision. And there should be no further confusion legitimately about this. So is, is it the fact that you don't understand what this is or you think that this is not required by code? It, well, it could be either, but ultimately, ultimately I, yeah, it could be, it could be that I don't understand it. Um, and but you, but you have been aware of it since November 29th of 2021. Is that correct? I was aware of Jennifer's email that included this. Yes. All right. And did you pursue any avenues to understand why this was required? I read the I read the code. Um, and is there anything in the code that is in conflict with this exhibit? I, I could, I couldn't. Again, I'm not a, per, I'm not a wetland professional either. Um, but I, my, what, what I focused on in the code was not how to apply and deem 
properties suitable to create an NGPE on. I focused on what, you know, what are the requirements or, you know, what, what, what are the expectations and requirements um, for a property owner um, when an NGPE is um, established on their property? I kind of focused on that because I was trying to figure out, well, if, you know, what, what does this mean? You know, what, what would I have to do that I wasn't um, aware of earlier? Um, that was really the per the sort of my, the purpose of my, and, and really the focus of of trying to familiarize myself with that code. All right, um, Mr. Lang, do you agree that the city has code requirements for establishing natural greenbelt protective easements? Uh, yeah, that's it's pretty obvious. And do you agree that if those requirements apply to your property, you will need to follow them? Absolutely. And is it your testimony today that you just simply don't understand why the exhibit presented to you as an NGPE actually is compliant with the city's code? That, that could be. And did you consult with a wetland biologist so that you could understand this? Um, I have not at this point, up until this point. And I have no further questions. Okay, Sir Jala, any uh, direct? Yeah, just if do you have that exhibit with that shows the blue triangles? Sure, I can put that back up. There you go. <clears throat> so, Skip, the first time you saw this or anything like it showing the NGPE area that the city wanted was, oh, uh, we we asked for the service of occupancy in September, and you didn't see this until what December? Correct. And um, and the um, you're comfortable with some kind of an NGPE down near your house because that's where your wetlands people did the mitigation work. It's where you're planning on doing tree maintenance and everything else. And so that's where you're expecting the NGPE to be under the permits. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And you were surprised to see the whole back half of your property covered in a NGPE easement, correct? Yes. Is it your understanding that once you sign an NGPE easement, that is uh, forever and there'll be no development or anything in that area where an NGPE easement is? Um, Yes, I understand. I definitely understand that. I, I'm, I'm not 100% clear as to what. I, I believe there may be some <clears throat> other requirements for me um, 
or any future owners as far as maintenance of it as well, which is a concern. Um, but I'm not clear on that. Okay. And um, <clears throat> did you expect your house to have any, or your remodel or your rebuild, have any impacts on your property um, in the backyard? No, I, I, and let me just, for, for the record, to be clear, yeah. that the big triangle on the right-hand side of the screen, which is the west, um, east side of your lot, I'm calling that the back. That's the back or the backyard or something like that, right? Right. Yeah, that area. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, did you expect anything that you were doing in remodeling or rebuilding your house to even affect or have anything to do with the backyard? No, I mean, that's just untouched. It's so far from the, it's so far from the house. Um, it's all wooded, you know, kind of wooded area. There's a, there's, yeah, it's just, it's not part of it. It wasn't impacted at all by the project. And then um, the city attorney was asking you about uh, the geological hazard covenant. Can the hearings center pull that one up? Was it in exhibit 20, uh, 22? And she was asking you why, you know, if you would sign the, this covenant. Yeah, I almost have it, just a second. All right. And, <clears throat> um, in the interest of time, I'm gonna read from you the code in the city report that uh, triggers this covenant, okay? And so I want you, to, it's not in front of you, but I just want you to listen carefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it's 85, I believe it's 8545. And it, mm -hmm. it asks for a covenant, quote, uh, it asks for a covenant, quote, indemnifying the city for any damage resulting from the development activity on the subject property, which relate to a physical condition of the property. Pretty simple, right? Yeah. Does this look like that simple language? No, it, does, it doesn't. And in fact, this includes more than damage, it says injury or damage incurred and not just on the property, but on or off the property, correct? Correct, yeah, it looks like that. And so if, if you signed this and the city had a water main break or something upstream and, and 
a, a, a debris torrent came down your the creek and damaged your house and you have this sign are you um under this agreement are you waiving your claims against the the city for that objection calls for speculation and a legal conclusion and is irrelevant and misinterprets the covenant okay i'll, I'll sustain That means you don't answer that question, Skip. Yeah. <clears throat> And then um, I think it was exhibit uh, 21 that they had you on the first, the first page. Yeah, let's pull that up. Takes a while to scroll. Oh, there it is. All right. Okay. Skip, this is labeled as sheet O one, correct? In the lower right hand corner. Yes. And there's a sheet index table also uh, right there on this sheet. Mm -hmm. yep. Can you show me anywhere on that sheet index where it says tree plan? Not on the index. No, I don't see it there. And I think the attorney was referring to in enclosure one, a tree plan that was approved by some arborist on some certain date. Um, have you seen that tree plan? I have, I have not. And before you signed a tree maintenance agreement, you would wanna see the precise tree plan that was being referenced, correct? Yes. And has the city ever provided you with the precise tree plan that uh, that was approved by their arborist? Not to my knowledge. <clears throat> I 
And that exhibit we were just looking at doesn't have an arborist stamp or anything on it saying approved, correct? In an... I haven't seen it. Okay. Okay, I, I have no further questions. Okay, thank you, Mr. Lang for your testimony. Uh, Mr. Jolly, do you have any other witness testimony you want to present? Um, uh, no. Okay, move on to uh, city rebuttal. Any rebuttal evidence to present, Ms. Kroll? Uh, yes. Um, I'd like to uh, talk, uh, excuse me, ask some questions of Jennifer Anderer here to yeah. explain the difference between the NGPE and the tree maintenance plan, um, which appear to have been a little bit uh, confused during the last discussion by Mr. Lane. So was there a... Uh, document at exhibit 21 that indicated um, what trees were going to be required. Yes, so that's the first page of that exhibit. Of that exhibit, yeah. And, and does that show the NGPE? Let me zoom in. It does not show specifically the NGPE. Correct, because, and those are two different requirements, correct? Yes, they are. So would the tree maintenance plan, which is at exhibit 21, need to show the NGPE? No. And um, based on what Mr. Uh, Lang just testified to, um, was he correct in assuming that the tree maintenance plan in exhibit 21 would have contained the NGPE if the city wanted it? No, they're two different. They're two different things. All right, and they said um, that Exhibit Twenty Four delineated the NGPE for the first time, and uh, I am wondering whose responsibility it is to prepare an NGPE for this building permit. It's the applicant, along with a surveyor that they've hired, a Washington State licensed surveyor. And did the applicant obtain a, a licensed surveyor in Washington state and provide the city with a delineation for the NGPE? No. And this was required as part of their permit, correct? Yes. So where did the exhibit 24 come from? Um, I, I marked something up and made it for them to, as, to help out, essentially. Because they hadn't done it, correct? Yeah. So um, is there anything wrong with us trying to help out the applicant with an NGPE? No. Were we supposed to provide that document to them earlier? No, we're not required to provide this marked up document. And we did it because they simply did not follow their building code requirements themselves. Is that correct? Yes. All right. I don't think I have any further questions. Yeah, Mr. Jalo. Yeah, just to follow up on that, um, uh, a tree maintenance plan, what does that do different than an NGPE? That's for me, right? Yes, for okay. Jennifer Anderer. Sure. 
Um, so a tree maintenance agreement is, um, it's basically an agreement that's signed to maintain significant trees as defined by chapter 95 in the code um, to maintain those on the entire property. An NGPE is linked to critical areas. So that could either be a wetland or a stream. In this case on the Langs property, it's for a stream. And so that's protecting an identified critical area and its associated buffer that's identified throughout the process of the permit. So while there may be a tree located in the NGPE, there also could be a tree located on site that's not within the NGP, it's outside of that critical area. So the TMA covers the full property. It's purely for trees, significant trees that are identified as, identified to be retained through the building permit. And separately, the NGPE is to cover critical areas. And so the NGPE in fairness then should be shown in a critical areas report? Um, if it's to cover critical areas? Well, the NGPE in and of itself may not be shown within the, the reports that you're referring to will identify, they'll type and delineate the critical area. So they'll show where the critical area is on your property. And then they type it, which means what's the environmental factors and that makes your associated buffer. So those reports will show where the critical area is, where the buffer is. Um, and then code chapter 90, states that an NGPE gets placed on top of that. It is not something that needs to or is necessarily identified or written on that plan in the reports. It is a requirement per code. So what the, the purpose of the report is just to type and delineate the critical areas. Okay, so the requirement for the NGPE comes up and it's just based on code, not any of the submitted critical areas reports, not any of the... That anything found ahead of the both. building permit? Nope, it is both. Uh, so does that, you say it's it, it's both? Yes. Can you show me in the um, applicant's documents that they submitted to the city for a building permit approval where the NGPE line is? So the NGPE line, what it, the reason I say both is because the critical area reports that are done and kind of all, all things critical areas that are looked at and reported by, provided by applicants or peer reviewed by watershed, all that good stuff, that identifies where the critical area is. That is the basis of where on your property is this identified as a critical area or its associated buffer. And then, and that's all in chapter 90 of the zoning code. And, and I, I think what you're asking is those reports will identify that and then the code says, okay, any critical area or its associated buffer that you've identified throughout the duration of your permit review and approval needs to be placed in an NGPE. So that's what I mean why it, where it's both. Okay, and the, and the first time the um, client sees a map with a NGPE easement on it is after the building permit is approved uh, and just before certificate of occupancy? Um, typically, no. The, the applicants and any applicants I've had, they provide, they provide the easement. They work with a uh, surveyor, the Washington State Licensed Surveyor, and they produce that document and those boundaries. Before the building permit? Before the building permit? Yeah. No. 
It's usually, it's, it's uh, typically a condition. It's a condition that needs to be satisfied prior to final, which was included in um, the, yeah, enclosure three. It's PCD uh, number seven. And natural greenbelt protective easement that would have been distributed. I think it was in April is when the permit was issued. And okay. so that's, that's the point of knowing that that's a specific requirement. Okay. And Although it's done, prior to that 90 is discussed. So it's done after the building permit because the NGPE line may change a little bit based on the project. Um, not necessarily. Can you repeat the why? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Yeah, so uh, um, I was asking if it was done prior to building permit and you said, no, it's done after. And I see your email in exhibit 25 that we quoted the language earlier. It says, if the boundaries changed at all in the field, uh, you can submit a, it says, quote, if the boundaries changed at all in the field or your surveyor identifies alternatives to the attached markup plan, please let me know and we can work to each other to adjust the NGPE boundaries. So, so the question is, it, it makes sense to have the NGPE boundary determined after the building permit and the construction so, is all done. Uh, a couple things. No, it's the NGPE isn't, the boundary is not established after the building permit what will inevitably be your NGPE is determined throughout the building permit process. So it doesn't make sense to do it before because you haven't had any environmental reports necessarily prepared, right? So through the duration of reviewing that building permit, that's when you get the information for the environmental review. The environmental review is what establishes what the parameters, what that boundary will be for an inevitable NGPE. We don't um, provide recording or doc documents or need to do that step until prior to occupancy. And so that's why you receive it typically towards the end of your permit because occupancy is commonly, it's what we refer to as when the permit is finaled. Okay, that's a little confusing to me in that uh, if it's based on the environmental reports that are required prior to building permit approval, Is that is that correct? That the NGPE is based on the it has to be based on the reports prior to building permit approval. The NGPE is based on the identified critical area and its associated buffer. And that is a requirement that the city signs off on prior to building permit approval. Correct. The that's what that the city assigned. Sorry, can you just repeat that? Yeah. Does the city sign off on the critical area report prior to building permit approval? or oh, as yes. part of the building permit approval? Yep. I think he's talking about issuance of the building permit. Yeah. I have a question for clarification for Mr. Ojala. Um, when you asked the witness about building permit approval, were you asking, asking about issuance of the of the building permit or issuance of the final on the building permit? I was talking about the building permit because it's just testimony related to the argument the city brought that these are all conditions that could have and should have been appealed uh, when the building permit was issued. And I just wanted to clarify for the record that 
a lot of these things didn't come up until after the building permit was was approved. Yeah, I don't believe the witness understood your question. I'm still confused. Do I don't believe the witness understood your question, Mr. Ojala. Um, I'll just uh, the, I'll just rephrase the question simply as this: that the the um, the first time there was ever an NGPE line shown as an NGPE line in the city file was when you sent, as a courtesy, a copy of that Exhibit 25 uh, to my clients, correct? Yes. That's a fact and that's yes. all I need on. Thank you. Did you have any other questions, Mr. Ochoa? No, I'm, I'm okay. done. Thank you. For all right, thank you. All right, uh, Ms. Kroll, did you have any other rebuttal evidence to present? Uh, no, I okay. think we're, I think, I think that the city's position is clear. Okay, well, uh, on, on that note, uh, let's address how we're gonna do closing. Uh, there was a, Mr. Gillette submitted that pre-hearing brief today. As I said, if the city wanted, they could uh, provide a written response to that. If the city does wanna go that route, I guess it would make sense probably to do the closings in writing and then the, the city could just uh, address that brief as part of its closing arguments. <laughs> Mr. Ojala could submit his closing at the same time. So there's no, nothing taken out of order there. Or the other is not to do anything in writing at all and just do closing verbally today. I mean, uh, Ms. Kroll, did you have any preference there? I'd rather close verbally today. Okay, Mr. Ojala, do you have a problem with that? Doing it all verbal today? No problem. Okay, should we take a, a break till 12.35 and, and do that at that time? Yes. Okay, Mr. Ojala, is that all right? Uh, that's just fine. Okay, let's, uh, we'll break till 12.35 and then uh, get into the closing then. I'll see you then. Thank yeah. you. Thank you.
Okay, I'm back. <clears throat> okay, great. All right, back on the record, uh, May 12, 2022, 12.35 p.m. We just took a break in the uh, uh, Lang appeal of uh, BSF 19-01341. We're now at the closing argument stage. The uh, rules of procedure didn't really give any order on on how to do closing. I'm, I guess I think it'd be consistent if the city's supposed to go first and last that uh, they go last on closing as well. So Mr. Jolly, you wanna get started with us? Uh, so you just said uh, the opposite of what you, <laughs> I, I'm um, happy to go first. You just said the yeah, city would open and close. Uh, I'm, uh, oh, oh, no, what I, what I meant is, is since the city goes first and last that it would be consistent they're also last to do closing. Okay, I will I will do my closing argument first if that's okay, okay with the city yeah. and and uh, that we're not stepping on anybody's toes. Sure. Okay, Ms. Scroll, any problem with that? That's fine, Your Honor. Okay, all right, let's let's move forward. Great. Okay, go okay. ahead. Yeah, just a brief brief closing, <clears throat> Your Honor. Your jurisdiction is uh, somewhat limited, and that mainly is to the interpretation of the code as to whether or not a certificate of occupancy can issue. Uh, in this particular case, ahead of these zoning requirements. And um, getting into details on uh, some of the other uh, merits um, uh, aren't uh, necessarily uh, uh, in, uh, you don't have to make a decision on that, but they do illustrate for you, uh, the re because there are uh, disputes, illustrate for you that this is a case uh, where um, <clears throat> where uh, the certificate of occupancy should issue with the conditions listed on it as the code allows for, uh, so that the parties can work uh, um, in a, um, a predictable and efficient manner forward uh, through the uh, issuance of that certificate of occupancy. And the code plainly allows for that in 2106-540 sub 12. It says that uh, the certificate of occupancy can issue and special uh, permit conditions can be listed on that certificate of occupancy. So that seems to be uh, exactly where, where we're at. And as to the interpretation of the code, uh, Mr. Weinstein did uh, indicate that he wasn't very familiar with uh, the phased occupancy and some of those other uh, occupancy um, allowances that the code allows for. And, and <clears throat> as pointed out in my, my brief, uh, 2106, uh, uh, 545, I think, plainly does allow for a certificate of occupancy to come out when the health and safety matters uh, uh, of the structure itself are satisfied. And so that's what we have here. The city has stipulated the building official came out and finaled the house as to all uh, health and safety issues uh, related to occupancy. And that is, after all, what it's called, a certificate of occupancy. Um, it's, it's, uh, and, and that's what it is. And so that meets the expectations of the landowners and citizens within the city that after their house is uh, uh, complete and livable and signed off in all respects, uh, and yet there's maybe some additional considerations that need to be worked through under the zoning code that are unrelated to the structure, um, that there is a mechanism to go through those. The hearings have heard that some of those requirements, like the, the tree plan that they need to agree to, um, that there, even in this record, there's not a signed stamped tree plan uh, that the city claims there is. Um, maybe there is, but th those are the things that should be uh, assembled and signed off on or put into a certificate of occupancy, labeling those things is not very difficult. And it bears, bears um, 
I don't think it's lost on the hearing examiner that uh, the city opened up this hearing uh, with um, a fairly direct threat at uh, eviction or some kind of a uh, um, enforcement action to throw somebody out of their house. Um, and uh, that, and, and we see the bold declaration of Mr. Weinstein that, that, uh, that the reason to have, that they want these done before certificate of occupancy is for, quote, leverage. The precise, quote, precise reason is for, quote, leverage. And if the, you have people that have built the house, it's, it's completely satisfied as to those life safety uh, considerations and you wanna work through some of these more, um, even if they're routine from the, from the city's own uh, mouth and experience, these things take time at the city. And so as time keeps ticking on, interest rates rising, things are changing to, to live somewhere else and pay rent somewhere else, uh, the whole point of uh, property and owning property is to live in it and use it and enjoy it. That's a fundamental right in our in our country, uh, protected by our constitution, and due process protects that. And so, tying uh, tying um, uh, conditions that uh, some of which have been the first time seen, uh, you know, attached to an email on June twenty third to just sign these uh, or else um, is not appropriate, and the code does not require that. Um, and the and that's where the, you know the proper interpretation of the the city code does allow for a certificate of occupancy to issue, and these if there's any remaining conditions, these can be listed as conditions. So that's what I think the the simple crux of this is, and I think that this is a particular case where if it's good for Google, it's good for a homeowner in the city. I mean, this is this is um, you know it, it, you know it, in one sense a certificate of occupancy already is issued because the own code does say one of the exceptions is that the, the um, building officials log uh, is a certificate of occupancy already under, uh, was it 535 uh, uh, sub two. Um, and so, um, it, you know, and we are dealing with a single family residence. We're dealing with people that have lived in the city for a long time, have no intent to move on. This is not a, a, a developer coming in, selling a house and moving on. Um, those are all facts that, uh, you know, may bear on on the question here um, that 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 this wouldn't be some cookie cutter thing that, uh, and so maybe that's the reason why we have a hearing on a particular case. Um, but I initially thought that this issue was a question of law, you know, interpretation of the of their own code, um, and uh, under the plain language of that code, it, it plainly applies. But I think we've shown enough facts here that if this is a particular case where the certificate of occupancy should issue for a homeowner with these conditions that the city wants remaining listed on there with a timeline, with deadlines in a predictable, manageable, uh, approachable, intelligent way that people can look at, um, that's appropriate. Um, and so we believe in short, the code allows for that. We think the constitution <laughs> demands it, that you, know, that you have the right to use your property and, um, and that these issues should be should be worked out. And it's a little confusing in terms of timing. Uh, you know, the, I don't think it's lost in the hearing examiner that uh, the email in June came out. A submittal was made by Rita on uh, a mitigation plan uh, soon after that or soon before that email. And then September came around. Uh, things were still being worked on at the city, not a lot of clear communication back. And then we asked for the certificate of occupancy at that point saying, hey, 
these are some conditions on the permit. Let's list them in the certificate of occupancy and deal with these, but we'd like to have a certificate of occupancy. And after that letter, things started to go a little bit faster with the city, but um, here we are. So, um, and as Skip said, you know, there is a balance here. Do we want to bring this before the hearing examiner? Do we just try to work with the city uh, through these issues? And ultimately we felt that um, in this case, it would be appropriate for you to weigh in on this so that uh, it, it, some clarity can be brought to uh, the interpretation of the building code and how this works. Uh, you know, each city is different, each um, government's different, but something like a native growth protection easement popping up for the first time um, uh, right, you know, you know, under the threat of a certificate of occupancy, those are things that should have been done long ago. Um, and so if there, if there are requirements that need to be done ahead of time, there should be a, a process for which those can get in. But those are items that are often heavily negotiated during the, you know, well prior to certificate of occupancy. So uh, that's just been my experience and, um, I'll leave it at that. Um, thank you for your time and attention today. And, and, um, uh, I have nothing further. Okay, thank you, Ms. Virgella. All right, Ms. Kroll. Okay, thank you everyone for your time this afternoon, especially the hearing examiner. We've taken quite a bit of your day and I hope you're not missing anything. Um, uh, the city is going to restate its argument that this is a collateral attack against code requirements that were imposed with a building permit application, and it should be barred by the 21-day statute of limitations under the LUPA, the Land Use Petition Act, RCW Chapter 36.70C. We're not waiting that argument. Um, the city's code, moving on, the city's code requires the appellants complete the following zoning code requirements before the issuance of a certificate of occupancy. They have to re, uh, complete the tree maintenance agreement because they have significant trees on their property. There's no dispute about that. They have significant trees on their property. We're asking that they sign the tree maintenance agreement. It covers only the significant trees. There's no reason given by them as to why they will not sign that. Second, the geologically hazardous covenant because they have landslide hazards, according to our code, identified on their property. They submitted the report that substantiates that. They have provided no evidence to the contrary. Thus, they do need to sign that covenant prior to issuance of the certificate of occupancy. The same with the notice of geologic hazard covenant. Uh, there is a natural green belt protective easement and the wetland and stream mitigation and monitoring agreement. They have to sign those because they have critical areas on their property. There's absolutely no contesting the fact that they have those areas on their property. There's no contesting the fact that those easements or those uh, documents provided to them cover only the critical areas that they're required to cover and the stream mitigation and the monitoring that they're required to cover. I believe they are now working towards number five, uh, but that has been very recent movement on their part. 
The city's been waiting a long time. We're pleased that there's movement. We hope that that gets concluded soon. Um, the citations to the, the citations to the precise code requirements are in our briefing and I don't need to go through them again. Um, it is uncontested that, uncontested that the appellants have not complied with these requirements. They claim they don't understand them on a factual basis, but ignorance of the law is no defense. The fact that the claimants don't understand these requirements is not um, be, through the fault of the city. There have been numerous emails back and forth explaining these requirements. There's been the director's decision explaining these requirements and the requirements were fully explained today in this hearing in the event that the appellants did not read the director's decision or did not read the emails and attachments that came with the emails previously. Um, the appellants argue that the director has misinterpreted the code. Well, the examiner is required as a matter of law to give deference to the city's interpretation of its own codes. Here, the city's interpretation is reasonable. You are required to complete these requirements prior to a certificate of occupancy because they're required by the state under the Growth Management Act and they're required to preserve the environment, including the environment on your own private property. The city has not determined on its own that you must have an easement protecting critical areas on your own private property. That was deemed by the state. The Growth Management Act is constitutional and any attack on the city's regulations enacted in, re in response and reliance on the Growth Management Act are constitutional. They have been approved by the Department of Ecology. They have gone undergone SEPA review. So there is no coherent argument made today that the city's requirements are unconstitutional. Um, and also, I, I don't really understand the unconstitutional argument anyway. I don't understand if they say they're going to sign these requirements sometime in the future, or if they say they don't need to sign these requirements at all. Clearly, they need to sign these requirements. That is, the, the city's code requirements are constitutional and they haven't been attacked as unconstitutional today. So they need to sign these requirements. When do they need to do them? Our code says before the certificate of occupancy issues and they take great offense to the word leverage that the reason these requirements are to be due before the certificate of occupancy is because we need to ensure that these code requirements are met. We need to ensure that the critical areas on their property are protected before they move in. And if they move in without protecting the critical areas on their property, we're left with a action like this, which will be followed by a code enforcement action. 
And instead, every other project of this scope and size, the applicants have signed the exact same agreements modified to their situations, of course, before the certificate of occupancy has issued. Um, next, um, we do not get to, um, with regard to interpretation, um, applicants do not get to interpret the code in a manner that they best think fits them when it's inconsistent with the city's interpretation, when it's inconsistent with the interpretation the city has given their code from day one for decades, and when it's inconsistent with the manner in which it's applied to every other project of the same scope. So here uh, we are asking that the uh, hearing examiner deny this appeal that the city issue a certificate of occupancy before the zoning code requirements at issue here are complete. We would ask that the hearing examiner order the appellants to complete the requirements for a tree maintenance agreement, a geologically hazardous covenant, a notice of geologically hazardous covenant, and a natural green belt protection easement within two weeks of today's date. They're working on five, the fifth requirement, which is a wetland and stream mitigation and monitoring agreement. And we believe that that can be completed within 60 days of today's date. And we ask the hearing examiner to order that it be completed within 60 days of today's date. Um, at, at this time, that is the city's request it's reasonable. Uh, if the applicants didn't understand the requirements prior to today, they certainly have had this hearing and been made aware of why these requirements are in place as of today. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay, thank you, Ms. Kroll. And, uh, and thank you everyone for your participation today and, and, and input and information. <clears throat> I know these processes can be very, uh, frustrating for everyone involved when, when uh, you know, things aren't uh, um, agreeable to everyone who's participating in the process. I, I have a couple, you know, it looks to me I have two major issues to look into. The first is whether the city's permit conditions and code actually does allow any of these um, conditions to be deferred until after certificate of occupancy, and if so, you know, under what circumstances. And I, you know, I, I think uh, what I'm hearing from the appellant is their theory of the case is that uh, if, if uh, these zoning issues take an unusually unreasonable amount of time to resolve, then you should be able to defer them. Um, you know, and I did hear from the city that under some circumstances you do allow just uh, plantings, very limited circumstances you allow that is, uh, does that open the door, you know, to other, maybe just extreme circumstances and, you know, do this, uh, the, the does the timing of the 
uh, city permit review and requirements in this case kind of reach that level or not. That Those are just facts I have to look into. I don't have any impression one way or the other there. And then the other issue is simply, uh, has the city been asking for more than is required by those permit conditions and, and uh, code requirements? I mean, uh, um, I know Ms. Kroll is really focusing on we can't collaterally attack these permit conditions, but as I said at the beginning of the hearing, it's not an issue of collaterally attacking them. It's an issue of applying those permit conditions and code criteria to this particular process. And, and certainly, yes, the Growth Management Act does require protection of critical areas. I don't think there's a GMA statute that specifically calls for an NGPA, but certainly that is the, the standard way that those buffers and things are, are protected by just about every jurisdiction in the state. Um, but, uh, you know, that doesn't mean, though, that every provision that's put into the city's uh, uh, covenants and, and notices is is required by GMA or even required by the city's own code standards. I mean, the, the, the permit conditions don't say thou shalt, you know, sign the form that form 2AB that's, you know, used by all the other city permits. It just says that the applicant shall agree to maintenance and shall agree to uh, you know, the, these, these other types of, uh, you know, to uh, um, uh, hold harmless agreement, that kind of thing. What, you know, and, and the applicant, or excuse me, the appellant has uh, testified that the reason why they, they were kind of a little gun shy here was because the, the precise terms kind of scared them off and they wanted to make sure that was okay. And the city has also uh, acknowledged that they do negotiate some of these terms sometimes as, as, as testified by Mr. Weinstein. Uh, you know, if, if, uh, if there's an appellant or excuse me, a property owner that, that wants something different that the city will consider that and see if it's consistent with code and consult with the attorney and so forth. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, that, that's a tougher issue. You know, I have to look through the through all the emails and everything else to see if if the uh, appellant has you know actually tried to come up with some alternative language and this you know that there was actually negotiation or that the appellant was just flatly refusing to sign or simply you know didn't sign in in any specific period of time. I mean, so it's it's a little. It's a little muddled, but um, uh, you know these things usually are. Uh, Ms. Kroll, you mentioned um, one of the deadlines you wanted was two weeks from today. I think my decision is due two weeks from today. So do you mean two weeks from when my decision is issued or? Absolutely, Your Honor. Okay, Absolutely. good, yeah. Because I, like I, I, yeah, I was hoping I wouldn't have to do all this today. So <laughs> to come up with a decision, but um, yeah, so some good arguments here and uh, I, I appreciate all the input and the civility in this proceeding. And we'll get that decision out in the next couple of weeks. So um, thank you all for participating and we're adjourned for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Honor. And thank you City.